Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What day it is. Happy Hump Day. Good to have you with us on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And every Wednesday when Michelle Smallman hears the camel, she smiles. <laughs> it just makes me laugh every time. <laughs> I know it's coming. Just like when you play All I Do Is Win after you win the fight. Mm-hmm. I know it's coming, but I get it gets a reaction out of me every day. <laughs> Love it. We have a big day. We're going to talk to Kyle Gibson of the Phillies. He's got a great charity event coming up later in the month. That'll come your way at 8 o'clock at 845. One of my great friends, Demetrius Johnson, is going to join us. DJ has a great pipeline and is part of the pipeline between the St. Louis High School football scene and Eli Drinkwitz at the University of Missouri. That paid dividends yesterday with Luther Burden committing to Mizzou. I would say so. How hyped do you think Mizzou fans are waking oh, up this morning? Number one. Receiver in the country, number eight player overall, joins Eli Drinkwitz at Mizzou. And he's going to uh, graduate early, something I never dreamed of. And uh, he's going to be on campus in January. So that's going to be very cool. So that's good for the Tigers. And then Bernie Federko as we go into the Blues booth at 9.15. But we are going to start with Blues hockey tonight. They, Michelle, take on the Vegas Golden Knights and Alex Petrangelo. And this will be different with Petro in 2021-2022 because... There's going to be fans. It won't be as cool tonight as it will be next time the Blues face Vegas when it's here in St. Louis. Sure, absolutely. But still seeing Alex Petrangelo nonetheless and kind of like facing the avalanche, Randy, with a couple notable names, mm-hmm. some really strong presences out there on the ice, not going to be there with Max Pacioretty and uh, Mark Stone out. Yeah, those are huge losses for Vegas. But... Vegas is still a really talented team. Coach Craig Bruby on the challenges of facing the Golden Knights. Well, the same as always. They're, um, they change their neutral zone up a little bit, but, you know, they're they're a good team. We all know that. they got a great decor back there. We're going to have to really work and, and create opportunities against that decor, and we're going to have to get numbers in there and, and um, outnumber them at, in situations in the offensive zone. And they're a very good team. They go, they transition as good as any team in the league. So you have to be on our toes uh, when the puck turns over or we lose the puck. We got to track back hard. We got to be tight defensively and protect the, the middle of the ice all game. So pretty much like every game. <laughs> I would say so. That game plan could translate for any game. Yeah. But it is kind of fortunate for the Blues, though, to be facing 
two teams that are really tough to deal with in the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche without two of their stars both times. Yeah, if you want to play better defense, one of the great things to do is to have two of the team's best forwards on the opposition not to be there. Yeah, it's a great plan. <laughs> it really is. So the Blues, 8 o'clock with the pregame tonight, Alex Ferrario, and uh, pretty safe to say that I will not see the end of that game. You think you'll fall asleep? I think that there's a very good chance that I'll doze off. You'll battle, though, till oh, the end. you know I will. I do the same thing. I put it on in bed, and I try to battle. You know what I do a lot during games like this when it's super late is I'll do the nod off. Yeah, where that's me. I'll, I'll be locked in, I'll be locked in, and then I, I can feel myself fading, and then it's just like an airplane, right? Your your chin kind of hits your chest, and then you mm-hmm. bounce back up, and you're like, we're okay, we're okay. <laughs> right. We're awake, we're, we're here, we got it. Michelle, remember yesterday when I said, despite being down 2 nothing, I still thought the Dodgers would win the National League Championship Series? I do remember you saying that. I still think they're going to win the National League Championship Series, <laughs> although I did not when the bottom of the eighth started yesterday at Dodger Stadium with the Braves leading 5-2, to two, Will Smith with a base hit after a pop-out by Justin Turner, A.J. Pollock with a base hit. So the tying run comes to the plate in the person of former MVP Cody Bellinger. He's at the plate representing the tying run here in the eighth inning. And he sends one yes. high and deep, way back right center field. We are tied! Cody Bellinger strikes again! Pretty unbelievable. What, the, what a postseason. He had 165 during the regular season. 165 during the regular season. Former MVP, good player, mm-hmm. terrible this season. But he made some adjustments mechanically late in the season. And whatever he tweaked, it is working because he has come up big for the Dodgers this postseason. And so we see Luke Jackson get removed from the game after a base hit by Chris Taylor. And I'm kind of concerned about Luke Jackson. Number one, he has magnificent hair. A cap ruins his hair. Big, big, big hair. But man, <laughs> you talk about a guy who was absolutely devastated and then they just kept showing him on TBS. Poor guy. Doesn't that hurt to watch people oh. after a moment like that? I hate when the camera keeps panning back to them because you just feel terrible for that guy. But also, there should be a rule, right? If your flow is that magnificent, that you sh- you should be able to elect whether or not you wear a hat. I totally agree with that. Yeah. The flow rule. Yeah, that's a good call. Really good call. So Chris Taylor singles. They take Jackson out of the game and bring in Jesse Chavez. Matt Beatty grounds out, and Chris Taylor moves to third, and the Dodgers just bring up another former MVP. And back to the right center, and it is down! Six to five, and that was the final. If it's a postseason moment like this, do you have more confidence than in anyone than you do in Mookie Betts to come up big in a moment like that? Because I'm watching that game, and as soon as I see it's Mookie coming up, I think, oh, well, he's going to do something magical mm-hmm. here. I feel the same way about him. Well, maybe not as severe because I watch him all the time, but it's the, kind of the same feeling in the postseason with Mookie Betts like I would have with Albert Pujols back in the day. You yeah. just felt like he was going to make something happen. And he is in every way. It's not just the offense, but he makes yeah. things happen defensively. He can steal a base for you. He he does everything. He's amazing. And the Dodgers back in that series, they'll play game four tonight. And I would have to believe that the Braves are just shell-shocked, right? 
Oh, absolutely. You went from feeling like the Braves could sweep this thing and that they were in command to after last night feeling like, oh, well, the Dodgers are going to do what they do. They're coming back. I don't know how you feel confident this morning if you're a Braves fan, even though you have the lead in the series. In the American League, Boston grabbed a 2-1 lead after one inning at Fenway Park. It was a 2-1 game until the eighth when Jose Altuve led off with a home run. 2-2 game in the ninth. Carlos Correa against Nathan Eovaldi with a double to right. Tucker struck out swinging, and then Yuli Gurriel was walked. They hit Diaz. He struck out. Castro came up with a base hit. Jose Altuve walked, and then Michael Brantley stepped to the plate. That's a line drive into right center field. Is going to get down and go to the wall and clear the bases. Three more runs are going to score for the Astros as Brantley knocks it into the gap and blows it open here in the ninth. Turned a three-run game into a or a three-two game into a six-two game. The Astros tacked on three more and won it nine to two, and they even that series at two games apiece. I'm mentally preparing myself for the Astros to win the World Series. I think that's a good idea. Although I think the Dodgers would beat them. I think the Dodgers would go in with a chip on their shoulder, and that really doesn't help a lot in baseball. But I do think that after 2017, the Dodgers feel like they have something to prove against the Astros, even though it's a different Astros pitching staff. I agree. I also think even though it was completely legitimate what they did last season, the Dodgers might have that mentality of we won a World Series during a truncated season during a pandemic, and we have maybe a chip, mm-hmm. on, another chip on our shoulder to prove that it wasn't just the circumstances that surrounded last season that we are champions in a regular season, too. We were talking about that last night at home. It's an interesting topic because if the Dodgers don't win this LCS, and I think they will now, but... They could have gone down 3-0 three, three last night. And I asked Patrick, I said, how do you feel about this team now? The only They've been the best team in baseball, really, since 2014, mm-hmm. if you look at that period of time. And if the only World Series they win, despite being the best team in that period of time, was in the pandemic season, I said, how do you feel about that? Because I think last year's World Series is legit. Might have been tougher to win than any of them. But still, if you haven't done it over a 162-game season... And if you lose to the Braves this year and don't even make it to the World Series, it's a different feel. You you feel like that team should have delivered more. Oh, absolutely. Because you're right. They have been the standard for a really long time. And up until last season, the knock on them was amazing team. Can't get it done. Can't get it past the postseason or can't get it done in the postseason. And I don't think that I'll even if they lose this CS or they lose in the World Series. I don't think I'll ever minimize what they did in 2020 just because we've we saw teams that should have won in different circumstances mm-hmm. really really struggle without fans or in a bubble type environment. It was very difficult mentally. So in a 162 game season there's always a war of attrition in a lot of ways and it's hard to overcome that and win but you you had a different battle that you were waging yeah, last season right. you know you had a different mental battle too that you were dealing with and just the protocols and everything you had to go through so I'll never minimize that championship for them but it did seem like talent rose to the top right. in a lot of these different scenarios in 2020 and my philosophy and I know that the times are completely different the 7 year period from 14 to 21 for the Dodgers shouldn't be much different than the seven year period between 96 and 03 for the Yankees when the Yankees 
Yankees won four mm-hmm. and went to uh, a couple of more and lost them. They wound up going to six World Series, 96, 98, 99, 2001, 03. And they wound up winning in 96, 98, 99, 2000. That, to me, is what the Dodgers should have been over this period of time, with Clayton Kershaw as their, their horse. Oh, for sure. And even though they have a good chance to go to the World Series and they still have a good chance to win it, they have felt like a beatable team this entire postseason. Yeah. They haven't been de- completely dominant. Yeah, With Mariano Rivera, you don't lose games in the ninth inning. And no. that's one of the things that they've run into over the course of the last seven years with Kenley Jansen's struggles. Speaking of baseball, former Cardinal Matt Holiday joined the Doug Gottlieb show yesterday on CBS Radio. And Doug asked Matt about his interest in managing his former team. Well, you know, I, I think when you talk about, you know, opportunities in sports and you get a chance, if, if somebody were to ask you if you could manage um, one of the greatest franchises in, in Major League Baseball, and, and in sports, really, with, with the championships, um, you, you'd be stupid not to consider it. I obviously have kids, and um, you know my, my, my older boys are playing you know some of the most formative years of, of their lives in baseball, and I'm enjoying being around that. But when you talk about a chance to, to manage and, and to, a chance to, to be a part of an organization like the St. Louis Cardinals that I love and, and have been a part of and, and know – uh, intimately and, and have, you know, know Mo very well and Mr. DeWitt. And, and so it, it, given an opportunity to interview and, and give, you know, what I would think would be, you know, my point of view on, on managing, um, I think it would be great. Now, Michelle, I, I would be intrigued. And yesterday when we gave our lists, I put Matt Holiday at the top of my list. Whether it's Holiday or Stubby or Oliver Marmol or Skip or whomever, I was more excited about Mike Schilt and his major league managerial experience taking this team into 2022 than I will be. I'll be intrigued by all of these guys. I'm sure I'll be excited as when they have the press conference. But, and I want to ask you this, mm-hmm. are you as enthused about 2022 now as you were two weeks ago? No, I'm not. Just because you went from the end of the season even though heading into 2021, the Cardinals were the favorite to win the division. And even though that was a game that they could have won versus the Dodgers, you still felt good about the team and more importantly, the future of the team, whether it was the, the historic winning streak or the fact that they did overcome so much to get to the postseason. You felt like the vibe around this team was really good. And then to find out that something was brewing beneath the surface this entire time and what we perceived on the outside as a team that was positioned really well for next season not only from a talent standpoint but from an internal standpoint from a a managerial standpoint and a front office standpoint might not have been the case and to think that you're going to take this collection of players and hopefully a collection of players that Mo in the front office will add to in the offseason and put a first time manager in that seat that makes me a little nervous because there's always a calibration period Even if you're a bench coach or an assistant manager or you've been around the team for a long time or been around the game for a long time, it's different when you're in that chair. There's there's a getting used to it period for any job. And that makes me a little nervous that you're putting a team that you think is supposed to be a World Series contender in the hands of someone that's never done it before. And we're going to talk about this more at the bottom of the hour. We'd like your mic drops to the Rhino Shield mic drop with the 101 ESPN app. Are you as enthused about the Cardinals going forward? 
without Mike Schilt as you were with them. And did it take the good feeling away after the Cardinals have the 17-game winning streak and make the playoffs? Did firing Mike Schilt take the good feeling away? Use the mic drop feature. A couple of other quick notes, and we've got Ask Uncle Randy coming up momentarily on 101 ESPN. Great moment last night at the Herb, uh, the Boys and Girls Club of St. Louis as Luther Burden made his choice. The St. Louis wide receiver rated as the number one receiver in the USA. And he had a table that had a Georgia hat, an Alabama hat, and a Mizzou hat. And he sat down in front of them and he said this. This has been uh, the most difficult decision of my life. Uh, with that being said, I would be committed to Okay, he picks up hats, picks up Alabama and Georgia hats, throws them away, dramatically picks throws up. Them, throws them over the team. Picks up Mizzou. All right, uh, Luther Burton Jr., you've got an Alabama hat and a Georgia hat and a Mizzou hat. All due respect, we love Mizzou here. Yeah, of course. But Georgia's number one in the country. Alabama is a dynasty. Why did you choose Mizzou? They all, you know, go to places like the Georgias, the Alabamas. Um, I mean, I just want to start a train here in St. Louis for, you know, the younger people uh, with talent up under me uh, to start training here in St. Louis and uh, stay home and take our talents to Missouri. So when do you start recruiting for Mizzou? Uh, I started, I've been started. Uh, I kind of knew my decision a little long ago, but uh, I've been starting now. How excited are you to get on campus? Uh, I'm excited. I'm really excited, you know. Uh, I go to, I'm graduating early, so I'll be there uh, in January. All right, great to have a dominant wide receiver. Let's get the rest of that situation, especially the defense, taken care of. Eli? Yeah, but Luther Burden joining an already strong class for Coach Drank at Mizzou. And let's not forget, he's from the Illinois side of the river. I look forward to the day where uh, talent like Luther Burden, who's actually on the ill side, wants to change the environment and change the fortunes of Illinois. But I respect him so much for, for not taking what is the path of least resistance by going Mm -hmm. to an Alabama or a Georgia where he knows he's going to play in a program that has a chance to win a national title and likely that is going to put him in a better position to get to the NFL. Not that Mizzou hasn't churned out NFL talent, but it's harder to go to a place where you don't have all of that stuff already built in. It's harder to be the one that helps build it yourself. So the fact that he chose Mizzou, I think that's amazing and it's going to be very fun to watch him play. Every starting wide receiver at Alabama over the last three years has been a top uh, first round draft choice in the NFL. <laughs> right, exactly. Pretty good. We're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Get your text in now to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Ask Uncle Randy coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> All right, we do appreciate your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Ask Uncle Randy. We haven't done this in a few weeks, so it's good to provide you with some advice if you need it. 
we tried to do the best that we could in your absence last week. How'd that go? It was tough. Yeah. You're very good at this, well, Uncle Randy. I've been around. You know, it's, I'm old. <laughs> okay, well, let's start off with a tough one from the 573. Dear Uncle Randy, when is it time to start dating again after a divorce? It's been two and a half years. That is plenty of time. You are ready right now. I would say that regardless of the the way that the divorce went down and generally divorces are bitter but some are more amicable than others i would say once you've given yourself two years you're in good shape but obviously the age of your kids is going to have something to do with that but i think two and a half years is fine because your kids at the at the very least if you have them in the house are what three and a half hopefully four and a half years old so that you can get a babysitter and go out on a date and just make sure that you feel good about you. There's no set timeline. Everybody's different. Right. Some people, it's two months after they get divorced. Some people, it's five years. You just need to make sure that you feel good about yourself and that you go into this situation with an open heart and that you're actually ready for it. Open heart and open mind, Michelle, because yes. I think a lot of people, if you have been married and haven't been on the dating scene in a long time, it has changed. And I'm watching it with young people now. Most of the young people that I talk to that are getting married met online. And so whether it's, uh, what are the uh, sites? You've got Match.com and stuff like that. Don't be afraid to use those either. Oh, yeah. Bumble, Hinge. You said Match.com. There's another one that has a commercial. Yeah, there's a bunch of them out there. Well, the Hinge one you see all the time. So don't be afraid to use that because you don't want to go to bars. Have someone come over and take some very good pictures of you. Yes. Lighting and angles are important. Yeah, or just get a picture of George Clooney and put it up. <laughs> yeah. From the 636, dear Uncle Randy, I've given the opportunity to have a sit-down interview with any sports legend. Who would it be and why? Okay, this is a good one. So any sports legend ever, right? Ever. I think for me, it would probably be Muhammad Ali in his prime because he was so fun i'm we all like to interview great athletes but we've learned content is more important than the great athlete Mm -hmm. he combined both ali was the great athlete that brought great content I don't know if Babe Ruth, I I was intrigued by Babe Ruth, but I don't know if he brought brought great content. I know that Muhammad Ali was exceptionally smart. I know that he was a man of conviction and could talk about his sport and things away from the sport. So I think I would go with Ali. That's a good one. How about you? Well, if I knew that I was going to get a completely open book, there's probably no one as great or as complicated that I have seen in my lifetime than Tiger Woods. Mm -hmm. And if I knew, he's talked about things before, but if I knew I was going to get 100% truth and that I could go anywhere I want, I would love to sit down with Tiger Woods. Yeah. How does he hit that shot? Especially now, because no one's really talked to him after his accident. I would love to know about his rehab. Where is he at mentally? Is he really at a place where he's trying to play golf Mm -hmm. again? I mean, he has overcome so much in his life and in, in his career. It's He's a very fascinating subject, so I would love to talk to Tiger. He is, and my question would be, when you get to 11 minutes with Tiger, if I'm driving down the road, do I want to push the button? Have I heard enough? And with Ali, he's going to have poems for you. It's going to be fun. It's going to be <laughs> energetic. It, that That's the main reason that I, I go with Ali, because in addition to the fascinating aspect of his past, He's also going to do it with energy. For sure. 
from the 314. Uncle Randy, how do you feel about the Cardinals not making an offer to Chris Carpenter? Personally, it doesn't sit well with me. Personally, it doesn't sit well with me either. And to me, this shows the Cardinals' detachment from what they were, what the Cardinal way was, detachment from the Tony La Russa years. And I get using analytics as a tool. I, I'm not anti-analytics. I think that they're a valuable tool. But Chris Carpenter, I, 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 don't, I think it might have been Derek Gould that said, you, what you did is you drove away by not calling him the Bob Gibson of the era. Now, we should note that Bob Gibson did go to the Atlanta Braves and become their pitching coach under Joe Torre in the early 80s. So he left the organization too. But I find it inexcusable that young Cardinal pitchers are not going to be mentored by a guy like Chris Carpenter. I can't believe you'd let him walk out the door. I can't either. <laughs> it can't be a money issue, right? It, he doesn't make enough money for it to be a money issue. So it must be that they aren't interested really in in guts and toughness and stomach. They're interested in numbers and math. Or or championship pedigree. You're not yeah. interested in that? Yeah. They didn't even make a phone call when he could have come back. I wonder how Jack Flaherty feels about that. Yeah, really. Because I wonder too. With Bob Gibson gone, we know that uh, Bob Gibson and Chris Carpenter both have been mentors to someone like Jack Flaherty. He's talked very publicly about how incredible it was for him to have guys like that as a resource to him mm -hmm. within the Cardinal organization. That's part of what coming here, part of what makes coming here special for players is that you have guys like Ozzy Smith or Chris Carpenter that you have access to that are within the organization that you can look at as examples of what you can be if you play for the Cardinals. And it's fair to question now, down the road, whether or not the Cardinals keep Wainwright and Molina in the organization. That's scary. <laughs> That's a scary thought. Um, from the 636, dear Uncle Randy, what's the best fall weekend family activity? All right. Depends on your family. Uh, we went to Mizzou and tailgated at Mizzou this past weekend. I think going to a college football game, Mizzou or Illinois and tailgating is great if your kids are older. If your kids are younger, though, if they're two to eight, nine, ten, Heading on over to Eckert's and apple picking is great. It's really, really fun. And you can never go wrong with a young family at this time of year in St. Louis taking advantage of the free zoo. And there's all kinds of new stuff at the zoo. It's great. I went to the zoo several weeks ago, and all the new stuff is very cool. So if you have a young family, the zoo at this time of year is pretty awesome. And if you're going to Eckert's and you're going apple picking, make an apple pie afterwards. Yes. And we should note that if you go on a Sunday, it's a wheat fall weekend activity, the Eckert's restaurant and the Saturday is great, too. I think Sunday is all you can eat fried chicken. But the Eckert's restaurant in Belleville is spectacular. Yes, it is. OK, one more. Dear Uncle Randy, this girl that ended things with me in May just got broken up with by the guy she chose instead of me. Mm -hmm. Now she wants to talk nope. and she opened up about everything. I like her a lot, but she wasn't up front when ending things with me, which was tough. I moved on, but should I give her a second chance? As they would say in the court system, the precedent has been set. <laughs> if she had the gumption to dump you previously, she has the gumption to find somebody she likes better again. No, you stay away from that one. That Even if you like her, and even if you kind of accept her quote-unquote apology, 
No, she had that in her to do it once. She has it in her to do it to you again. Don't let that happen. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on who, whoever. Don't, don't become someone's second option. No. No, don't. she chose someone else over you, then got dumped, and then she's coming back to you. You're no one's second option. You're great the way you are, and you're going to be perfect as someone's first option. Exactly. Yeah. Don't get fooled again, as our former president said. Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. And thanks for your texts. We do appreciate it. Uncle Randy, at your service. Next up, how do you feel about the Cardinals heading into 22? Has your enthusiasm level changed with the relief of? Uh, Mike Schilt of his duties. Relieved of his duties. He right. got fired. Yeah, he did. He, he got whacked. So. <laughs> I hate saying that, though. It sounds he, awful. But, yeah, we're parting our ways. We're ending our partnership. Why not just say, hey, we fired the guy. We fired him. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you feel about it? Your texts and mic drops next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> After a successful 2021 season, it just ended a little over a week ago, we have determined that we have a philosophical difference in the direction that our major league club is going. We feel like at this time that it is best for us to end our partnership with Mike Show. That was John Mozeliak last Thursday, the Cardinals' pobo, announcing the Cardinals were firing Mike Schilt. And right at the beginning, he says, after a successful 2021 season. And I asked him during the press conference how he felt about the way the team was managed. And he said, I thought the team was managed fine. So the philosophical differences didn't have to do with wins and losses because he himself called it successful. Didn't have to do with the way the team was managed because he said that was fine. So something beyond what we care about was what caused the divide. And Michelle, I wasn't totally on board with everything Mike Schilt did, but I am a bottom line guy. And it doesn't matter when they won their 90 games. They won 90 games despite losing 80% of their rotation for over a month. And they wound up in the playoffs with the fifth best record in the National League. So because of that, and because I know that Mike Schilt can manage, he took over for Mike Matheny and turned that team around in 18, and they almost made the playoffs. Then in 19, they wind up winning the division. And then in 20, with everything that went on, the Cardinals and the Marlins had the worst COVID situations in baseball. Mm -hmm. And I thought he navigated the COVID situation exceptionally well. And the Cardinals finished 30 and 28. And then obviously this year, I believe that Mike Schilt has done a good job as the Cardinal manager. And if they're going to bring in somebody who doesn't have major league managerial experience, I don't feel as strongly about this team's ability to succeed as I did when Mike Schilt was the manager or if, or if he would have been the manager heading into 2022. What if the Cardinals beat the Dodgers and went to the DS? What if the Cardinals won the DS and went to the CS? What if the Cardinals went to the World Series and they didn't win? Was this always inevitable were were the philosophical differences always so great? The divide was so vast between what Mike Schultz wanted to do and what the front office wanted to do that no amount of success could overcome it? Because it seems like that's kind of the case. It, if 
the tactical decisions weren't the reason. The player relationships didn't seem to be the reason. Certainly the wins and losses, that record wasn't the determining factor in this. Was any amount of success going to be great enough great question. For, for Mike Schilt to be able to save his job? Because it doesn't feel like that was really taken into consideration. And one of the reasons that I wish that the Cardinals would have been more transparent in the press conference and since then is that I would have liked to have known how much time and effort went into solving those philosophical differences. Did they just decide in that meeting a week ago Friday that, okay, we have philosophical differences because Mo admitted that he didn't talk to Schultz between that meeting and Thursday. Was there effort made to try to bridge the gap that existed between the two? Yeah, didn't he say that this all happened fairly quickly within five to six days? Yeah. So it doesn't really seem like if there wasn't communication during that span that there was every effort made to try and get everyone on the same page. Or or maybe they just felt he is steadfast in his beliefs. He's made his position known. We know that it's not going to he's not going to bend to what we want or or basically he's not going to concede to what we want, and if so, we need to make a move. The best teams, the best companies, have a level of creative tension at the top. And it's not an all-out brawl every day, but it is a convergence of ideas, and it's a collaboration to make you as good as you can be. Not every idea is going to be accepted as a great idea, but... There are some that are good, and sometimes people with an opposing point of view might have a good point. And I hope that that's the case with the Cardinals. I hope that they are accepting of an opposing point of view that might not be completely on board with what Mosellock or Gersh want. Especially when that opposing point of view is rooted in tradition coming from your franchise. Which has 11 world championships. (laughs) His opposing point of view is coming from a manual that, that has been the guidebook to your success. Right. Yeah, great point. (laughs) So maybe they think that the way baseball was won for 130 years doesn't apply anymore. Maybe that's maybe you just throw what what worked for 130 years out the window and just go with the last 20. Well, they do say evolve or die, Randy. Yeah, they do. But you know what? Gene Stallings, the old football cardinal coach, had the best comment about sports. He said, Hey, if you want to win, you got to have players making plays. That's what it all comes down to is players making plays. The Nationals won the World Series a couple of years ago. They weren't analytically inclined. You tell me that when the when the Dodgers traded for Tony Betts, they said, oh, yeah, he, he just fits the analytic mold that we're looking for. Mookie Betts would have succeeded in 1930 and 1940 and 1950 and 60 and 70 and 80 and 90 and 2000, 2010, because he's a great player. Clayton Kershaw is one of the best starters of all time, not because the analytics show it. It's because he's great. Uh, Rammer and I used to talk about this before analytics. When we first knew each other in the 1980s, the reason that we watched baseball is because of great players. We all knew that Ozzie Smith was great. We didn't need numbers. We didn't need a a program to tell us Ozzie Smith or Babe Ruth were great. Willie Mays was great. I I don't need to know that he's got the second greatest war of all time. I knew he was a great player. (laughs) It's not that hard. So I, I hope their charge in the Cardinal front office is to go out and get more great players. I'm sure that they will. And players that could have played in any decade. But I don't think that that's where this is headed. 
I don't think it's the eye test anymore. I it's think not. I think it's the computer test. Yeah. What do the numbers tell us? Right. That's clearly the path that this organization yeah. has chose to walk down. Yeah. So I am disappointed. I'm not as enthused as I was a week ago today. Can I read you a text? Because I think a lot of people probably feel this way. This is from the 702. My enthusiasm is less for the Cardinals in 2022. If it were only Mike Schilt leaving, I might be okay with it. But the combination of Schilt and Chris Carpenter leaving in short proximity, combined with the loss of Brock and the loss of Gibson, makes me feel like the organization is losing its soul for numbers. That's a great way to put it. And I agree with that. Uh, Kind of losing touch with... Their history, They're, they had that that uh, phrase a couple of years ago. Tradition meets today, mm-hmm. and it's almost like the tradition part is getting thrown out the window. It's today. But the tradition is what separates the Cardinals from so many other organizations. It's, it's supposed to, and that tradition isn't just what we do on opening day. The tradition is winning. The tradition is banners. The tradition is greatness. And maybe they'll be able to pull that off. Maybe they are better at this than all of the other teams. And maybe they'll, they will be able to win a couple of World Series over the course of the next decade, like they did under Tony La Russa in 06 and 11. I hope they are better at this than the rest of the teams, because that's the charge, is to be better than they were under Mike Schilt. And... They better be right. Yep. From the 618. Guys, last week, I didn't I didn't feel as great about the Cardinals after Mike Schilt was fired. But as the days pass, I'm hoping they get the hire correct. And I'm excited for 2022. I hope they get the hire correct, too. But, Michelle, I don't know if there's if there is a, a way that you can determine once the hire is made that it's the right guy. Philadelphia thought was really excited about Joe Girardi coming in there and being their manager, and it hasn't worked out. Sometimes you can get a veteran manager, and it just doesn't work out the second time. Sometimes you get a first-time guy, and it doesn't work out. You had a guy that you knew that the players respected and that the record was great for. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and I can check here quickly, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that Mike Schilt has the fifth highest winning percentage of all active managers. And so you knew you had a pretty good idea. He'd been to the playoffs three years in a row. You knew that he was pretty good. And obviously they've had an issue with him. And I just I hope for their sake and for our sake that they know what they're doing over there. You'll know it's the right hire when the confetti hits the field. <laughs> That's exactly right. Because you're not going to do better than Mike Schilt unless you win the World Series. You're not going to do better than Mike Matheny unless you win the World Series. Mm-hmm. That's the only way. And and you're not going to say it's the right hire unless that manager performs better than the past two hires under John mm-hmm. Mosaylock. And the only way to do that is when the confetti hits the field. Exactly. Uh, right now, winning percentage among active managers in the regular season. Dave Roberts, first, 622. Aaron Boone, second, 601. By the way, the two highest payrolls on an annual basis. Alex Cora, third. Mike Schilt is fourth, ahead of Joe Girardi, Rocco Baldelli, A.J. Hinch, Gabe Kapler, Terry Francona, Kevin Cash, Larusa, Matheny, Baker, Madden. Mike Schilt's got a higher winning percentage than all those guys. Wow. So he's ahead of a Hall of Famer, Tony Larusa. So good luck to the next guy. Yeah, exactly. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and we will do this again. And we want your mic drops on the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. How are you feeling now about the Cardinals as opposed to a week ago? But next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. 
We have Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, Take It or Leave It coming your way here on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle Anna Montana, and this is not Montana Yao, who is... The Wait, Anna Montana? Anna, A-N-A. We're not talking Miley Cyrus here. We're, no, this is different. This okay. is Anna Montana. Anna Montana. A 33-year-old IG model. Oh, okay. Has gone I.O. Instagram official with 20-year-old LaMelo Ball. Now, this is not, again, Montana Yao, who is, has a baby with Malik Beasley of the Minnesota Timberwolves. This is a completely different Montana with a completely different young basketball player. Okay, okay. But uh, (laughs) they have gone I.O., though. Take it or leave it. LaMelo and Anna experience true love. I'll take it. If if they win I.O., they must feel pretty good about it. She's 33. He's 20. That's okay. He's just a number. Yeah, it is. Good for them. I'm sure they're having fun. So I'm I'm proud of them. Yeah, I'm with you. True love. If you go I.O., you feel pretty confident in your situation because then... If I was feeling on the fence about something, I'm not going I.O. Because I don't want to have to go back and delete all traces of you. No, exactly. You know? Yeah. So I would think that there's a better chance of him not realizing the place in life that he exists than her. Because she's got 13 years of experience on him. (laughs) That's true. Uh, Randy Cam Newton, we haven't talked about him in a while. It's been seven weeks since he was released by the Patriots. That time flew by, didn't it? But he says that he's vaccinated and that he is ready to play football. He said, hell yeah, I still want to play football. I still get that urge to go out and perform and do something that I've been doing since I was seven years old. Cam said that he received some offers from some teams. He didn't get into specifics, but he said he's waiting on the right opportunity. But the realization of it is it has to be right. Take it or leave it. None of those offers have been to be the starting quarterback, which is why Cam Newton has not played yet. I will take that. And there was a report within the last few days that somebody was interested in him. Did you remember? Somebody had an injured quarterback and apparently had reached out. But I was it the Seahawks. That's it. The yes, Seahawks. I thought I read yeah. that. But it was not be to obviously to be the starter. So I'm going to say that nobody signs him to come in and be their starter right away. Follow up. Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. Cam Newton plays for an NFL team this season. I'm gonna leave that. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna change. I'm gonna take that. If he's gonna if he's willing to get vaccinated, then he wants to get back in the game. So I'm I'm gonna take it that he does play for a team, but not as a starter. What about the Dolphins? Could definitely see that happening. Although, Tua, pretty impressive performance in London this this past weekend. Just the two of us. Just the two, two of us. All right, Emily. What do we have on the text line? From the 217, take it or leave it, the Cardinals announced the manager after the NLCS because Pujols will be available. I'm going to leave that. Uh, Is this texture insinuating Albert Pujols will be the next manager yes. of the St. Louis Cardinals? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave that. Yeah. I think he'd be a great manager one day, but I don't think today's that day. He's got $350 million. He doesn't need to manage any. I, I don't know if he still has that, but that's the contracts that he signed, 100 and then a 250. He doesn't need to manage and deal with the hassle of the media before and after every game. And I think the Cardinals will wait till after the World Series to hire a guy. And we don't know that he's done playing yet. No, he I may don't think still, he knows that. He may still get another opportunity next season and mm-hmm. go on towards 700. We don't know. 
From the 3-2-1, take it or leave it, Nolan Gorman gets traded before his first plate appearance for the Cardinals. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave that, too. I think they're pretty committed to him. And I think that probably is the, the commitment to young players probably is part of the disconnect. Schilt wanting to bring in players to win now and the Cardinals saying, nope, let's just wait till 2022 and we've got our young guys, including Nolan Gorman on the way. By the way, 3-2-1 area code, what do you, what do you think it is? 3-2-1, 3-1-2 is Chicago. Yep. So I'm, this was a 3-2-1, correct, Emily? I believe so. Let me double yeah. check. 3-2-1, I'm going to guess north. I'm going to say Minnesota. Uh, I should have just hit the button that said that. But no, it's uh, Orlando. Orlando. This is a 3 2 1. Shout out to Orlando. Thank yeah. you for listening in sunny Florida. Yeah. Was it a 3 2 1, Emily? Or maybe a 3 1. I two? lost it because I copied it and put it on a oh. document. Hold okay, on no one problem. second. Yeah, don't worry. I, about can, it. I can let you know when I find it. Okay. Good deal. All right. Either way, shout out to someone listening far away. Orlando or Chicago. Either, either way. One. Either way, you're streaming, or and if, we appreciate it. If, you. if you're here, welcome to Tom. That's right. Next one from the 636. Take it or leave it. Hiring the wrong guy and missing the championship window would be a net positive. I'll take it. Hiring the one. Yeah, I guess it would be a net positive yeah. considering two World Series championships were a net negative. Yeah. So right. I guess that's the scale we're operating on. Could you imagine if next year you get to the middle of the season and you've got some consternation in the clubhouse and you don't have leadership that you thought you had and you've got Yadi Molina rolling his eyes at a manager? Could you imagine that? Nope. Could happen. It very much could happen. I wonder, though, if Yachty did have those feelings, knowing it's his final season, that those feelings might be lesser. Well, or maybe they're higher because he knows this is his last chance to win. Yeah, right. And by all accounts, he had a good relationship with Shield. They were always talking and always communicating. So hopefully the next guy does that, too. That's why the new guy is going to come from within. I was just going to say, if it's someone that's already been in the organization or it's an outsider that he's familiar with, a la Matt Holliday or Skip Schumacher, they're going to get the respect of the guys in the clubhouse. Absolutely. Thanks, Emily, and thanks for your texts. Kyle Gibson of the Phillies has a great event coming up here in St. Louis at the end of the month. We're going to talk to him about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We are attempting to connect with Kyle Gibson of the Philadelphia Phillies. He's got a great event with Adam Wainwright's Big League Impact coming up on October 30th, the Sporting Clays Tournament at St. Louis Skeet and Trap Club in Pacific, Missouri. And you can get more information. Just go to big, bigleagueimpact.org slash blast. Bigleagueimpact.org slash blast. And Kyle and Elizabeth Gibson are going to have a great event here in St. Louis on the 30th, and hopefully we'll be able to connect with him. But we've got a lot of response from people, Michelle, that have an opinion about what the Cardinals are to them for 2022 based upon the firing of Mike Schilt. From the 618, I'm less excited. The Cardinals became more analytical after 2011, and they've gone downhill. Don't give analytics credit for the past 20 years. Analytics is a good tool, and even Tony LaRussa uses analytics. But we talked about this during the season a lot, Michelle. It seemed like the Cardinals in many instances, especially offensively, were paralyzed by analytics. And that, to me, is the big issue. It's a wonderful tool. The information is great. Mike Schilt used analytics a lot. 
but you can't have it be the be all and end all because you've got to, uh, Tony always said, you've got to have somebody down in the dugout that can look in the eyes of the players and know where they are mentally at that point. And there's no way that a number can project what a player is going to do with a runner on second and nobody out when he's on the mound in the eighth inning. You just can't have numbers that determine that. Or as our friend Chris Junkin would say, numbers can't determine if a player is going to get tight cheeks in a big situation. But a manager who has a good feel for his players and has the relationship with his players can, as Tony said, look at them and determine if the moment is too big for them or not. Right. So you can say this guy hits 333 against left-handed pitchers and in late and close he has a certain number that's not as good but if the manager has a feel you always go back and this is exactly what we're talking about to Mark McGuire seeing something down the stretch in 2011 with David Freeze something that numbers couldn't determine the Cardinals were getting ready to bench him he was slumping and Mark McGuire said no I see it with my eyes don't bench him he's close yeah he's close and he wound up being the NLCS and World Series MVP you can't get that from a computer you cannot which is why you need to have a balance. And that's why I think this has been very interesting in the wake of Mike Schultz getting dismissed from the Cardinals because it, it seems as if he's somehow painted out to be someone who didn't embrace analytics, which is not the case. And he, he clearly was someone that had a balance of both. He was a, he was a good manager mm-hmm. who looked at the human side of things and at the number side of things, but there was a philosophical difference. And I just think it's a little bit unfair that he's been painted out to be someone that didn't embrace analytics because that's not true. And we assume that that's where the disconnect came from. Nobody knows. And that's one of the problems we have here, too, is that neither side will tell what the differences of opinion and philosophy were. Here's a conflicting point of view from the 636. I'm more enthusiastic for 2022. In 2012, which was Matheny's first year, the Cardinals went to the NLCS, and granted, they should have won. Get a manager that follows the analytics. So they're saying that maybe the next year we'll follow the same path as Mm -hmm. Matheny and the Cardinals will have more success. The the Rays did that last year in the World Series, followed the analytics. Yeah. How'd that work out? Uh, great. So, and uh, there's a great spot for them, but not all the time. We head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. And Philadelphia Phillies right-hander Kyle Gibson has a great event coming up in St. Louis. It's called the Big League Blast Sporting Clays Tournament. It's going to be at the St. Louis Skeet and Trap Club in Pacific on October 30th. Kyle, thanks for joining us on 101 ESPN. How are you doing this morning? Hey, I'm doing good, guys. Hey, sorry I'm a little late. I walked away from my phone at the wrong time. I apologize for that. Not a problem at all. We like having you on, and I want to, first of all, find out uh, what you've thought of the playoffs so far. How close of attention are you paying to the playoffs, and uh, what have you thought? Yeah, I mean, I think they've been really evenly matched. I mean, you know, even the games or or the series that have been over quick, I feel like the teams have, have played pretty good games, and and have been evenly matched. I think this Astros, uh, this Astros series is going to be a lot of fun here over the next couple of days. Uh, the Red Sox and the Astros are really evenly matched. Um, and I think we all knew that the Dodgers weren't going to get swept. So, uh, they're too good of a team to, to go down and, and lose four straight. So I don't even know when the last time was they lost four straight games. So it definitely wasn't going to be in the playoffs. Kyle, do you have a feel for which one of these four teams will be standing when the confetti falls? Gosh, it's just, it's so tough because I think they all have, you know, a few, uh, a few strengths that stand out to me. Um, you know, but I think the the thing that has been really, really 
uh, interesting that I just don't know how it's going to hold up. But, um, you know, for instance, the Astros, even though they're so good offensively, they haven't had a starter get into the fourth inning in a long time. Like, I don't know how they can just keep doing that. I know you have off days built in, but, man, today's going to be a tough game for that bullpen because of how much they've thrown. And on top of it, this is the first year that these guys have gone 162 games in a season in two years. So um, if I had to pick one, I think the Braves are probably playing the best baseball right now. Um, So probably the Braves. Kyle, as a guy who goes six innings more times than not at the major league level, how would you feel if in the playoffs a manager came to get you in the third inning? So that's we talk about this a lot, you know, more than more than we probably should, you know, in the dugout. Um, you know, what it feels like to be taken out early, and and you know when you how how many times you'd like to stay out there, and of course we all want to stay out there as long as possible. You know, very rarely do we actually you know tell the manager that we're done. Um, and I, I think the the unique thing about the playoffs is that you, you just want to win the game. Right. So, I mean, you, you're not worried about, you know, any uh, any tomorrow necessarily. You're worried about today. So in the moment, um, you can get over it a whole lot faster um, because you want to win the game. But at the same time, we all have this, uh, you know, internal confidence in ourselves that, you know, for the most part, we believe we're the best guy to be out there. Um, so the third inning is always a shock, I feel like. You know, you never go into a game expecting that. So it's a it's a shock to the system when you look over, even if you're struggling, and you see the manager coming out there, you know, way too early. Speaking of managers, Kyle, I'm just curious, what was your reaction when you heard that the Cardinals were parting ways with their manager, Mike Schilt? Yeah, you know, uh, we live just west here of St. Louis here, you know, all off season. So, you know, we get Cardinals news pretty quick. And a lot of my family here, uh, you know, grew up Cardinals fans. So we hear a lot about it. But I thought it was pretty surprising. Um, you know, I feel like uh, the Cardinals had done a, a really good job in that turnaround. But, you know, it's it's just from the reports I've heard, um, you know, if you want to make a move to a, a certain you know analytical side, you know, which it seems like a lot of front offices are, you know, they want to have, you know, guys that are going to go less on gut instinct maybe and, and you know, more on, on following the numbers, which I think you can do it both ways and be very successful. You know, I just heard you guys talking about the Rays. Well, yeah, they made it to the World Series. They were one of two teams to make it. So I think it works. Um, you know, it just creates certain uh, certain conundrums when, you know, Blake Snell's, you know, throwing a shutout and you got to take him out. As a player, how do you feel about teams taking more of an approach where they lean on analytics? Because Tony LaRusso always used to say it's men, not machines. So I'm just curious from the player side, how do you feel about front offices leaning on that to build their teams? You know, I've been really fortunate to have managers who have been able to mold and mesh both of them. Um, I think there's a place um, for both in the game. And I don't think, you know, like you just said, we're, we're human beings, we're men, not machines. And you never can tell when an offensive, you know, when a player is going to just decide to hit the ball to the right side and take advantage of that hole. And I think when you look at the best offensive teams, they really pick and choose their times to do that. Um, because it, it really puts the defense in a, in a tough spot. But, um, man, I, I I think that uh, you would be kind of crazy to not take advantage of the numbers at your disposal. Um, and uh, But I think at the same time, when you lose the human element of it, um, I think you lose a big part of the game, and, and you probably are going to get exploited at certain times. What was it like when you went to Philly? Because Joe Girardi, when he was in New York, was accused of being a non-analytics guy, although nobody in the front office said that he wasn't. And then at the top of the food chain there, Dave Dombrowski is not a, a classic analytics guy, certainly by any stretch. So was that organization different when you got to it? 
Yeah, I mean, I think every organization, um, you know, has its differences and, and has its different approaches. Um, you know, I think I had a lot of really good conversations with our pitching coach, Caleb Cotham. You know, he was with the Reds, and, you know, they're pretty heavy analytics. So just kind of, you know, listening to how he's, you know, integrating in, into the system and um, didn't have many analytical conversations with Joe, but, um, you know, you can tell that he's he's a baseball guy. So, um, you know, when it's when you get numbers in front of baseball guys and you can, you know, myself included, I'm not as smart on this number side. So when you get the numbers in front of me and, and show me how they work, I can get on board with that. And then, you know, if we can have conversations about how we can mesh them and morph them a little bit, I can get on board with that. So um, I, I don't feel like you know, Joe's any different. Uh, when it comes to that. Kyle, anytime I talk to an athlete who plays or played in Philadelphia, I'm always curious about the fans, especially somebody who's from the Midwest and who lives <laughs> in the Midwest. What was that like for you to go to a place and, and deal with the fans in Philadelphia? So I experienced both sides fairly quickly. Um, <laughs> I got the uh, the excited side, you know, playing against the Mets, you know, in, in my first home start, and, and we swept them that weekend. That was incredible. Um, and then I saw the side where, you know, maybe they get a little bit uh, heavy on booing, right? But, you know, what, what I realized was that they just want the players to play the best game possible. And it's not that, you know, they're necessarily mad that we had a bad game or they, you know, really want us off the team. I think they just expect us to play clean baseball and expect us to make good baseball decisions. And I feel like when they see that, they understand the game and then they you know react. And I think uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, you know, I think they're passionate and I think they, they really just want to see us succeed as much as we want to. And when they see us make bad decisions, you know, they're going to let you know about it. Hey, Kyle, before we get to the Sporting Clays tournament, uh, I have to get your opinion of this. Adam Wainwright, in his own big league impact fantasy football league, is one in five. Uh, are you shocked? Uh, I, get, I need to pick my words carefully here because uh, <laughs> I had a very unfortunate week this week in our big league impact staff. Uh, fantasy football league so I probably ought to tread lightly um, and I myself <laughs> I myself am uh, am in the same situation in two other leagues that I drafted so um, I've had a little bit of an issue with getting wins um, but I do know that Wayno does have a pretty good track record with fantasy football uh, so I am a little bit surprised but from what I've heard he's willing to do anything it takes to win yeah. so um, my guess is he will make a trade swing something with someone and uh, and get it turned around. Yeah, we're not counting him out, Kyle, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> so you have a great event, a sporting clays tournament at the St. Louis Skeet and Trap Club in Pacific, Missouri coming up. Um, but I want to go back to how all of this started. How did you get involved with Adam Wainwright and Big League Impact? Yeah, so I was sitting with Adam um, at a conference called Professional Athletes Outreach uh, in the winter one year, and he was talking about the fantasy football leagues that they were doing. And, um, you know, I said, hey, you know, I'd like to do a fantasy football league. He's like, all right, well, let's get you scheduled to do it. So I did probably four of them in Minnesota um, before I you know, ended up signing with Texas. And then um, we, were sitting, we were sitting at that same conference, actually, in 2018. And, uh, you know, you guys are probably going to get a kick out of this. I hope Adam doesn't get mad at me. But he goes, hey, uh, I'm not really sure how much longer I'm going to be playing. And, uh, you know, maybe next year is going to be it. And uh, I really want to have another player at Big League Impact to, to kind of, 
and kind of take the reins and be the face of a current player. And I joked with him. I was like, Adam, you're probably going to play longer than I am. What are you talking about? <laughs> and uh, and I said, well, hey, I'd, I'd love to be you know, vice president and, and have some fun there. And um, so that's kind of how I got on board as vice president. And, and uh, it's been fun the last few years to, to be able to kind of learn the ins and outs of, of what makes him tick and, and just to be able to get some guidance from him on, on the charity side of things. And people can visit bigleagueimpact.org slash blast for this October 30th event. It's going to take place at uh, the St. Louis Skeet and Trap Club in Pacific. And uh, it's going to raise money for Grace's Place. Tell us about Grace's Place. Yeah, Grace's Place is a local charity here in Franklin County. Um, and uh, they are a children's emergency shelter for kids 18 and under. Uh, families can either drop kids off or extenuating circumstances where, you know, maybe the state has to drop them off or, or whatever it might be. <clears throat> but excuse me, they're, they're there to, to really be a service to families who are going through a tough time. And they end up taking kids to school, feeding kids, housing kids. They have two locations where they house kids. Um, and it's just, it's an amazing organization. Um, and uh, we're, we're excited to be partnering up with them this year on this um, and trying to help them out because you're really anywhere that you look, you either have kids who are hungry or kids who are in an extenuating circumstance that they really had no control over. So for us to be partnering with Grace's Place and and try to help the kids here locally in Franklin County, um, you know, it's an honor. And you have some teammates, former teammates, St. Louis guys that are going to be on hand with you, Sam Coonrod, Archie Bradley, Ian Kennedy, Aaron Nola, Trevor Rosenthal is going to show up. And uh, from what I understand, it's it's a family event, right? You can bring kids out to shoot skeet as well. Yep, absolutely. So it's set up like a golf tournament where, you know, there's 13 or 12 stands and you go, you travel from stand to stand, and you get eight shots at each stand, and then you you know see what your score is at the end, trying to hit the clay targets. But uh, yeah, you know we had some kids out there shooting last year, um, and JB at, at the St. Louis Keaton Trap does a great job. So um, it's definitely going to be a lot of fun. I know Brad Thompson's making it as well. Um, I'm putting a little bit of pressure here on Lance Lynn, trying to get him out there. Uh, and a couple other guys, but um, it's definitely going to be a lot of fun and, and um, you know, fans and, and just people who either like shooting or people who like baseball um, are going to have a lot of fun coming out. We're going to have a lot of great silent auction items as well. So um, all doing it for a great cause. And, and it's just a little different event. You know, it gives people a chance to get outside and, and do something that, you know, maybe they don't normally do. And Kyle, we wanted to ask you one question as a Mizzou grad, the top receiver in the country, Luther Burden, the third commits to Mizzou yesterday. You're pretty fired yeah. up as a Mizzou guy. <laughs> so I was sitting with my wife last night and I was like, Hey, Missouri gets another chance at the number one wide receiver in the country. Last time it might not have worked out so well with Dorio Green Beckham, but you know, uh, anytime that Mizzou can land a guy like that, um, it's a big thing for the program and a big thing for the school. So, um, you know, I think uh, I think it's something that's going to help the program trend in the right direction for sure. All right. Hey, Kyle, thanks so much for taking the time. We appreciate it. And uh, thanks for what you and your wife Elizabeth do for the community. And again, people can go to bigleagueimpact.org slash blast to participate in the Sporting Clays Tournament October 30th at the St. Louis Skeet and Trap Club in Pacific. Have a great day, sir. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. You too. Take care. That is Kyle Gibson of the Philadelphia Phillies. Mizzou guy, lives in the area, and doing great things for our community with Adam Wainwright and Big League Impact. And what I love about what Big League Impact does is they find a way to bring awareness to great organizations and great causes and raise money, but have fun doing it. Whether it's what mm-hmm. Kyle's doing with the Sporting Clays Tournament or the Fantasy Football League, it's it's such a fun way to raise awareness and wa- raise money. Coming up, we want to get back to you, and we, we talked a little bit about, uh, before we got in touch with Kyle, about the Cardinals firing Mike Schilt. We, had, we have had a lot of response. Are you more or less 
enthusiastic or do you feel the same with Mike Schilt no longer being the Cardinal manager heading into 2022? Your mic drops, your texts next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Let's get a few minutes of your reaction as the Cardinals head towards a new manager and a 2022 season. It'll have obviously a different look in the dugout without Mike Schilt wearing number eight down there. And we've got some mic drops. Let's get to Tim, who joins us first on 101 ESPN. Hey, Randy and Michelle. I'm feeling actually pretty good about 2022. You should have a relatively healthy rotation. Dakota Hudson with a, you know another full offseason of rehab. Same with Miles Michaelis. Um, you'd like to see Jack Flaherty come back out strong and Wayno out strong. Interesting to see some competition in the fifth rotation spot. Maybe you go get a free agent arm. Maybe you don't. Uh, you got some in-house options depending on how they perform. Uh, what I'm really curious and where I'm kind of straddling on, you know, I'm, I'm excited about 2022 and I'll be really excited about 2022 is if they are able to land that big bat, if they're able to go get a Corey Seager or if they're able to go get a uh, Trevor Story or someone along those lines. I would even be very excited if they added a guy like a Kyle Schwarber to take over that DH spot and just absolutely mash righties. I appreciate everything you guys do. Awesome show. Thanks, guys. Well, thanks, Tim. Great mic drop, and thanks for listening. But Tim's analysis of his excitement level for 2022 has nothing to do with Mike Schilt and nothing to Mm. do with the managerial changes. It seems like all of his are are baseball personnel who's out out on the field, and if the Cardinals are able to go out and acquire, as he said, a big bat and some more talent. And at the end of the day, the only good managers are the guys with good players. We don't talk about the great managers leading teams to records of 72 and 90. But with this situation, because of the strong personalities and veteran presences that you have, most notably Yadier Molina, I do think that there's more than just making the moves for the manager. And by the way, even the moves are out the window if they have the DH, which seems 99% likely that they'll have the DH. I don't think you need to be a great manager. I think you need to have a great leader in the dugout, but you also need to have a guy that can command the respect of the dugout while taking orders from upstairs and the players knowing that the lineup and the moves are coming from elsewhere and not him. Well, I would imagine the players know the line of communication, especially now. Clearly, Dave Roberts has done that to a T. He Mm -hmm. he has the respect of his players, but admits, I don't have final say on moves that are made, for example, using an opener in the playoffs. That's I I have one vote and he admits that. And I just think it's a, a... a fine line to cross, and it's a unique personality trait to be able to do that. I actually wonder if that makes it a little easier for managers as far as player relations is concerned. Us against them? Yeah, it's not me pulling you at this moment. It's coming from above me. I'm on your side. Mm -hmm. I would keep you in longer, or I would have put you in the lineup today. This decision is above me. I only have one vote. Maybe that helps from a player, player communication standpoint. I would think so. Let's hear from Brandon next. I can't stand where this franchise is headed. At this point, I'm pretty much indifferent, if not anti. Mosaic is, I don't even, I don't even have the words for how I feel about that guy. And it, everything feels very uncardinal right now and heading in a, 
direction that I just don't care about. Anyways, unfortunately, that's how I feel. Brandon, thank you very much for the mic drop. And Michelle, we see it on social media. We see it on our text machine here. And that's one thing I don't know. I I know that Mo is aware of it, but I don't know if Mr. DeWitt is aware of the level of disdain for Mo. And it's not because of his one loss record. He's won all the time. It's not because of the postseason appearances, because they go to more more postseasons than anybody else in the National League outside of the Dodgers since he he took over as general manager and then president of baseball operations. For, For whatever reason, people just don't like Mo's personality. And Brandon is an example of that. He just has an, an intense dislike of the guy, which extends to the team. And I'm sure their response would be, this is not a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. We're doing what we need to do or what we think we need to do to win. And I wonder how many it's you know, what has been really interesting to me, Randy, is a lot of people who were not Mike Schilt fans all of a sudden became Mike Schilt fans when he was let go from his mm-hmm. job. And and by that, I mean, they might not have liked his consistently positive demeanor after losses or they may not have agreed with some moves that he made. But the way this all went down and the vagueness surrounding it turned Mike Schilt into a sympathetic figure to a lot of people, which makes John Mosellock in a lot of people's yeah. eyes the villain in this in this scenario for me the fact that Schilt was right earned him marks in my book remember early in the season when things were not going well and he said hey this team's going to set records then they went out and set a record for the longest winning streak in franchise history the fact that he was right changes my mind a little bit in his favor I I really didn't and I think you can you bring in Alex Reyes, and if Alex Reyes strikes out Chris Taylor, it, that was just a situation where he threw a slider that hung, and Taylor, a bad slider hitter, wound up hitting it out of the ballpark. If you make a move and Reyes strikes out Chris Taylor, then all of a sudden it's a good move. And because of what Reyes had endured in September, I get that people were upset that he came into the game. It wasn't going to be Jack Flaherty. But I also, and I say this all the time, am loathe to judge a manager or a player on one at-bat or one pitching move or one pitch over the course of a four- or five-year career. I, I I think that there's so much more to look at. I know that there's so much more to look at than just one singular move. Look at the total body of work. Yeah. But unfortunately, that's not the way that we operate. Mike Matheny will likely always be remembered for pitching to Big Poppy. Mm-hmm. Right. Or bringing in Michael Walker. Or bringing in Michael Walker. It's always the things that don't work that we usually remember. Right. That's at the forefront of our mind. Right. Aside from being the first manager ever to lead his team to the postseason for the first four years of his career. So, yeah, you're right. We look at the and we do focus on the negative, too. We we very heck we've talked about it. Tony Larusa with the dugout phone incident in a World Series that they won. Correct. Great you know, point. We we tend to focus on the negative things rather than the the great moves. Uh, you know, not having a position player and getting Kyle Loge in there to bunt in the tenth inning of Game Six. Those things we tend to overlook, and we give Kyle Loge the credit for it. For sure. Uh, Brandon brought up one other point that I thought was really good: is that it doesn't feel like Cardinal baseball, and that's something. 
something that a lot of fans take deep pride in mm-hmm. is what they know to be Cardinal baseball or what they feel is Cardinal baseball. And when Mike Schilt, who is as Cardinal baseball as you get, dedicated his life to the principles of George Kissel and to this organization and a champion like Chris Carpenter leave at the same time, it it doesn't feel good if you're a fan. It feels like you've gotten further and further away from what you loved about Cardinal baseball. I think a lot of people still harken back to the Tony La Russa era. That's the last time the Cardinals won. And that's the last time I think Cardinals fans really felt like you know, it's us against the world. We we have it right here and people don't like us because we're great and we're intimidating and all these things that you took pride in as a fan, it feels like the organization has gotten further and further away from that, even though they've had success since then. I haven't had a time in my lifetime where the Cardinals have gotten as far away from the Cardinal way. And even when they were not good in the 70s, Red Sheen, in fact, he had George Kissel on his staff. Mm-hmm. And so at least they were attempting the Cardinal way. They just didn't have a bullpen. Then you get Whitey, who's a Cardinal through and through and is a George Kissel fundamentals base running pitching guy. You bring in Joe Torre, who adores this franchise, says his biggest regret in baseball is not winning a World Series with the Cardinals. Won an MVP here and got way more out of his teams. And again, leaned on George Kissel, referenced George Kissel in his Hall of Fame induction speech. Just again, a Cardinal through and through. And then you go from Joe Torre to Tony La Russa who grew up in the Cardinal system, played for George Kissel, was advised to manage by George Kissel, leaned on him. And then you get Mike Schilt after Mike Matheny. And Mike, for all of his faults, he did respect what the Cardinals' way was, and it just didn't work out. Then you bring in Mike Schilt, who's the last guy to have that leather-bound book that George Kissel put together with the Cardinal way. I don't know if there's any of those leather bomb books left in the Cardinal organization now. Wow. And if you're a fan, that identity is something that you took pride in. Yeah, and six, you, almost 60 years. And you feel like it's it's slowly going out the door. Yeah, it's deteriorating. It's it's a shame. It seems like it's deteriorating at least. And hopefully they'll they'll be smarter. Let me put it this way. My perception. I hope they're as smart as I think they think they are. I followed that. Because I get the sense that we've got a lot of smartest guy in the room stuff going on here. They always say if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah, that's true. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, the fight on 101 ESPN. Speaking of the smartest guy in the room, <laughs> the fight is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 840. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Right before we went to break, Randy said he was the smartest guy in the room. He's calling a shot today. I don't know if uh, Jerry is up for the challenge of taking down Megamind, but we're about to find out. Good morning, Jerry. How are you? Good day, Michelle. How are you? I'm doing great. How do you feel about Randy claiming he's the smartest guy in the room? Because that includes you because you're on the phone. Listen, if that guy isn't, well, you know, look who we're dealing with. He is the smartest guy in my room. That's all I know. <laughs> he, so, did, he didn't get I'm the not name Megamind. I'm not at all. I'm sorry. But say no, that again. 
I'm not intimidated at all, but he did take me down three to one, so I guess I do have some vengeance in mind. You're not intimidated, though. That's key. That's right. All right, Jerry. Well, good luck to you. Thank you. All right, question number one. On this day in 1964, Red Dienst was named the new manager of the Cardinals, replacing who? Was it Johnny Keene, Vern Rapp, or Ken Boyer? Boyer. Yesterday morning, Yankees manager Aaron Boone re-signed a three-year deal to stay in his position. Boone was a postseason hero as a player with the Yankees, hitting a walk-off home run in Game 7 of the 2003 ALCS off of which Red Sox pitcher? Was it Mike Tom- Mike Timlin, rather, Tim Wakefield, or Pedro Martinez? Wakefield. Phillies, oh my goodness, Phillies right-handed pitcher Kyle Gibson and Mizzou Tiger baseball alum joined us this morning at 8 a.m. If you missed that interview, it was great. Download it on the podcast on the 101 ESPN app. If you missed our chat with him, you can do that at 101ESPN.com. Gibson was drafted out of Mizzou in the 2009 Major League Baseball draft. By which team? Was it the Philadelphia Phillies, the Minnesota Twins, or the Texas Rangers? Rangers. And there are a couple of Mizzou baseball alumni left in this year's MLB postseason with one playing in each league championship series. Max Scherzer represents Mizzou for the Dodgers, while this player represents the Tigers on the American League side. Is it Pete Fairbanks, Reggie McLean, or Tanner Houck? Houck. Okay, checking our score, waving in Randy. Uh, Jerry, what are you doing? The background sounds a little busy. Check it out. You know how you just had Mr. Gibson on there from Pacific doing that uh, fundraiser? Yes. I'm, hey, I'm doing, it's a Pacific theme today. I'm, I'm the trash man out here in Pacific. Oh, so you're out there doing your job. You got it, girl. I you love it. it. Uh, Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> that's right. Well, thank you. Uh, it's trash day all over St. Louis State. Randy, what are you doing over there on your phone? Uh, just texting with a friend of mine. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you were queuing up some sort of a song oh, or no, some sort of soundbite to no. rub in Jerry's face. You did call yourself the smartest guy in the room. so. <laughs> and it's Jerry on the line with us. Hi, Jerry. How are you doing this morning? RK, good to talk to you, buddy. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Every day, buddy. I listen. I beat you every now and then in my car or in my truck. Love it. All right, Randy. Are you ready? I am. On this day in 1964, Red Chain was named the new manager of the Cardinals, hmm. replacing who? Red Chain in 1964 replaced Johnny Keene, who went to the Yankees. Yesterday morning, Yankees manager Aaron Boone re-signed a three-year deal to stay in his position. Boone was a postseason hero as a player with the Yankees, hitting a walk-off home run in Game 7 of the 2003 ALCS off of this Red Sox pitcher. Tim Wakefield. Randy, as you know, Kyle Gibson of the Phillies Gibby. and Missouri Tiger baseball alum. Yeah, Gibby. You think Gibby likes tapes? Yeah, no doubt about it. I can see it. I can see it. He joined us this morning at 8 a.m. If anyone missed our chat, you can catch the podcast on 101ESPN.com after the show. Of course, listen to the remainder mm-hmm. of the show. Gibson was drafted out of Mizzou in the 2009 Major League Baseball draft by which team? I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that because it was the Minnesota Twins who uh, he was with when Brad Thompson went to the Twins in 2010, I think it was the Twins. Minnesota Twins. Sorry, we're getting a call on our hotline from oh, our ga- next guest. There are a couple Mizzou alumni left in this year's MLB postseason with one playing in each league championship series. Max Scherzer represents Mizzou for the Dodgers, while this player represents the Tigers on the American League side. Represents the 
Oh, Mizzou Tigers. Yes, Mizzou Tigers. <laughs> um, Those Tigers. Yeah. Okay, because I didn't think the, the Detroit Tigers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll do the old lifeline here. Is it Pete Fairbanks? No. Reggie McLean no. or Tanner Houck? Uh, Tanner Houck is a local product, so I'm going to go with him. Was it Jerry or was it Randy? Did Randy indeed remain the smartest guy in the room? Emily, tell him. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Optical Expressions. Providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. And? Isn't that enough? Don't you just love that? No, I know another one's coming. Oh, you do? Okay, well. Where's Al? Win, 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 win. Oh, and uh, uh, come on, give me Al. Okay. Just win, baby. There we go. There we go. I know it's coming. I might as well just not step over it. Jerry, I'm sorry. Randy got all four correct. He's Megamind for a reason. He's the smartest guy in the room. After that declaration, you had to get all four correct. Uh, Jerry, you did well, though. You got two correct, which is always a good day in my book. Here are our answers. On this day in 1964, Red Chandines was named the new manager of the Cardinals, replacing one Johnny Keene. Um, let's see. Aaron Boone hit a walk-off home run in Game 7 of the 2003 ALCS off of Tim Wakefield, Red Sox pitcher. Knuckleballer. Kyle Gibson was drafted out of Mizzou in the 2009 Major League Baseball draft by the Minnesota Twins, 22nd overall. And Max Scherzer is representing Mizzou for the Dodgers. Tanner Houck is representing the Tigers on the American League side, playing for the Red Sox. He was with Mizzou from 2015 to 2017. Jerry, great effort. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Always. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Jerry with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, as we know, Luther Burden committed to Missouri yesterday and a Mizzou grad, a former player at Mizzou, one of my best buddies, Demetrius Johnson, is going to talk about the impact that this signing can have on Eli Drinkwitz's career at Mizzou. That's next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. I was thinking of one of my best friends in the world yesterday, Demetrius Johnson, when Luther Burden III made his announcement that he was going to attend the University of Missouri because DJ has put so much uh, so much into Mizzou, whether it is literally putting blood on the field and, and tears and everything that goes with being a Mizzou grad and being a Mizzou football player. And DJ and I did football for a long time together on Charter, and I wanted to get DJ's take on Luther Burden committing to Mizzou and what it means for Eli Drinkwitz and Demetrius. Demetrius Johnson, DJ with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Good morning, my man. How are you? Hey, man, you know, it's always an honor, man, to be on the radio with you or anything. Man. Hey, let me just make this clear. I love some Randy character, y'all. There's nothing in the world I wouldn't do for this man. He's one of my closest friends in the world. I love this guy. He's been there for me, and I want to say thank you for being my friend over the years, man. And the the feeling is 100% mutual. You are uh, one of my favorite people in the world. And I wanted to talk to you about this because I know that you have a great relationship with Eli Drinkwitz. And uh, I, I know that uh, you have you're a great pipeline, a great liaison between Missouri and the St. Louis metro area, the University of Missouri and the St. Louis metro area. What do you think this can mean for Eli and, uh, and Mizzou? People, you wasn't there last night at um, Herbert Hoover Boys and Girls Club and to see it, to witness it personally. 
I mean, I have never seen this in a long time, man. It's been I, I can't never remember witnessing the the feel, the atmosphere, you know, just the enthusiasm, you know, just how it just galvanized the entire community, man. Young, old, black, white, everybody was there, man. It was this is one that, hey, man, it, it got so emotional for me, man. I'm sitting up there. I'm standing up there watching it. Now I'm about to cry because I see the impact. Not only that uh, this kid, this young man is going to make at the University of Missouri, but how he can transcend our community to come together. And we need that up in Columbia and St. Louis. And I tell you what, man, it was just so, man, I, I was just amazed. You know, I haven't seen it, Randy, and it's to see it again. The last time we saw something like that when the Rams went to the Super Bowl for the first time, you know, and it was just amazing to see this young man have the ability to, to just bring a whole entire community together, man. I've never seen it. It was, it was great, man. DJ, what do you think it is about Eli Drinkwitz and what he's doing with this Mizzou program that would make a Luther Burden want to go to Mizzou over going to Georgia or Alabama, a place where he knows he's likely going to have a chance, a guaranteed chance to play for a national championship? Well, that's a great question, Michelle. Let me just say this. Uh, let me go back to Luther first. Uh, Georgia and Alabama wanted Luther. Mizzou needed Luther. And the thing about Coach Drinkowitz, he's relating to the He's a millennial himself. He's relating to these young guys. You know, he's 30 some years old. He's been around a lot of black kids for a long time. So he understands how to work, how to talk. He's that old stuffy guy. He relates to him. He keeps it real with them. And he's a guy that, you know, he's telling these kids, Look, you come to the University of Missouri. I'm going to give you a chance to turn the program around. Look at Missouri's not doing great right now. However, when I get this whole thing going, imagine you being a part of turning this entire community around for the state of Missouri. And his ability to talk, but the things I like about him, how he relates to these kids, man. He he is just so down to earth as a coach and a good guy that you want to play for him. And he is that, that uh, nerdy look he has about himself. <laughs> Hey, in real life, he ain't like that. I'm telling you, he, is, he he gets down with him. So that's what I like about him. Hey, DJ, you and I were around so many players when we were doing games that were going to Mizzou that would were recruiting other guys or had been recruited by players. And this is what like when Gabbert went and when our friend Rolandis Woodland went to Mizzou, a lot, uh, Jeremy Macklin, uh, a lot of kids, Will Franklin, mm-hmm. a lot of kids that not only went to Mizzou, but then got together with their friends and said, hey, why don't you come over too? And that's part of what made that mid-2000s Gary Pinkle team so good is that they had so much St. Louis talent. And that was one of the first things that Luther said yesterday is, hey, I'm already recruiting guys to come to Missouri. Hey, last night at the at the press conference, guys who already committed to go to Missouri was there at the press conference. And I talked to some of the young men, and they were sitting up here saying, hey, this is just the beginning. we getting everybody. I mean, just want to be that trendsetter, you know, we the ones turn Missouri around, and that's it. they have the ability to do that. And the kids he's recruiting, oh my goodness, man, they have the ability to take Missouri to another level. Man, I am, I have not been this excited about Missouri football in a long time, man. Uh, he, he just he has gotten these kids believing in him, and the key to it, Randy, like you just said, getting young high school players to believe in your vision. How can that? That tells you how amazing of a coach he is to get someone else to believe in your vision and make that your vision their vision. 
and he's been able to do that, man. And this has been so so electrifying, man. And I mean, I have never witnessed that. Randy last had a press conference, a high school press conference. Everybody hugging one another. Everybody high fiving. I mean, it was off the charts, man. It was a, it was a great evening last night. DJ Luther last night indicated that he's known what he was going to do for a while, and I'm sure you and those close to him knew where he was leaning or what his intent was and where he wanted to go. But was there ever a time, especially later on, when you knew he was going to a Georgia or that Nick Saban was after him, that you thought he may change his mind, that the glitz and glamour of another program may sway him away from Mizzou? Oh, no question about it, because, you know, although he's a great athlete, he's still a kid. You know what I'm saying? And they're very impressionable. So when you get a young man, you take him to Georgia. Think about the timing. He was just at Georgia this past weekend. They're number one in the country. They got 90,000 people in there. They got all the big-time celebrities and all that stuff on the sideline or in the stadium. Hell yeah, I was nervous. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Hell, I'm like, oh my god, how can we, how can we overcome it? We ain't winning games like that. We don't have ninety thousand people in the stadium. We don't have that same support system that these other schools. And that's one thing we're gonna have to do, folks. If Missouri, everybody want Missouri to be great. But our alumni got to step up to the plate. And Randy and Michelle, when you talk about this NIL, the name, image, and likeness, these companies in Missouri and Columbia, they have to step up to the plate and treat superstar Luther Burton like they superstars. When you get the quarterback at Alabama, then even step on the field, he already made a million dollars. Come on, man. And our guys ain't making no money. I'm, you know, the family's involved. You want to send your kids somewhere else that can help their families. We got to step up as alumni. A corporate America in St. Louis got to step up and be a part of this thing. That's how we change the whole dynamic of what's going on in the, at the University of Missouri. And, DJ, one more thing. We've talked a lot about Eli, but I got a chance to spend some, some time with the new athletic director, Desiree, Desiree Reed Francois, a couple of weeks ago. She appears to have a really good handle on this name, image, likeness uh, material and what you need to do to, to make it work. I think the, the Tigers and the program made a good, got a good get in her, too. You know, Randy, I have not really spoke with her. I mean, she, we text one another and we say we're going to get together. So I have not had an opportunity to really sit down with her at this point. I look forward to that opportunity because I've heard all kind of great things about her. Her, she's a visionary and uh, she's very aggressive. Want to get things done. I mean, we all on the same page, man. I mean, anybody in the state of Missouri who has any uh, stake in the, in this state wants to see our state school do well. And I'm one of those guys. I played there. I was a part of it. I live in St. Louis. Came back here. I want to see Mizzou do well. And you know, we need every. What they say, all hands on deck now, man. This is a good start. This is going to start, I'll tell you, a domino effect. You're going to get so many other kids wanting to go to Missouri. And I heard rumors that guys that Coach ain't talked to in six, uh, three or four or five months and I'm calling, you know, interested <laughs> now. I mean, this is, this is going to be the residual effect of Luther Burden, a five-star receiver and a great kid wanting to go to University of Missouri. That's going to have an effect on the, the whole entire uh, region. We're about a month away from handing out turkeys. Are you real? Did you realize that we're that close? 
Hey, you know what? Last night I figured that out, right? I swear, man. I was thinking about it last night. I said, oh, wow. And let me say this, man. Randy, I love it, man. You come out. Randy Character and I have been handing out turkeys over 20-plus years together. And his family has been there. His son, his daughter, they all grew up under delivering turkeys in the community. I look forward to working with you again, man. I, I love you, man. And I always appreciate working with you. And Randy Character started me in high school football. So I want to say thank you for allowing me to do Hey, love you too, and it's always good to hear you. Hear you, and I'm glad you're excited about this. And uh, we'll connect soon. Thanks, D. All right, thank you, Michelle. You guys have a good day. You too. Take care. That's uh, Demetrius Johnson joining us on 101 ESPN. He's fired up. I love it. You can hear the excitement in his voice. I don't know how you just listened to that. If you're a Mizzou fan and you're not more fired up, yeah. Having him describe the scene of what it was like last night and knowing how fired up other kids are to come play with. Luther Burden and the talent that Eli Drinkwitz is yeah. being able to recruit, it's a game changer. And one thing, I'll say this about Demetrius Johnson, a lot of great things, but when he talked about galvanizing the, the community, that's what DJ's all about, mm-hmm. is bringing together black, white, uh, young, old. He, he wants a galvanized community, and when he sees something like that, it should fire everybody up. And when, when the way he talked about it was great. Coming up, we're going to talk a little bit more about what you feel about where the Cardinals are headed. A few more mic drops, a few more texts. And then Bernie Federico is going to join us at 9 here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Nine oh seven time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We've been asking you if your enthusiasm level for the twenty two Cardinals has changed because of the firing of Mike Schilt. And a lot of you have left Rhino Shield mic drops, including Ben, who joins us on one oh one ESPN. I'm definitely excited about next season because we have great players and a really solid team, and I think that the Cardinals are going to be a World Series contender next year. But if everything with Schilt went down the way that it appears, Mosaic's ego concerns me. If upper management in any company, let alone a sports franchise, is unwilling to listen to any other opinions other than their own, then it's going to lead things in a bad direction. And I hope that's not the case with the Cardinals. And this is a perception that the Cardinals have brought on themselves. It might be the furthest thing from reality that there is, but the perception is out there that the Cardinals are, uh, they wanted to separate themselves from somebody who was interested in maintaining what the tradition of the Cardinals is. There still is likely more to come out of what caused this decision and why Mo in the front office and Mr. DeWitt, by the way, mm-hmm. felt comfortable making this move. I think Mo is getting obviously a lot of the heat here because he's the face of this franchise now and he is the one that made the announcement. But let's not forget that this also has to go through ownership, too. The DeWitts have to sign off yeah. on this. This is not just a John Mozeliak can make whatever move he wants type operation here. There are other people that have to sign off on this. And when I asked Bill DeWitt on the Zoom to announce the firing, what his reaction was when he got the call that Mo wanted to recommend him that he said, oh, it wasn't a call. We've been talking face to face throughout this entire process. So that tells me that it was obviously very serious 
and that he, Mr. DeWitt, was completely involved with the decision. There was no recommendation. This was this is what we're as a team collaborating to come up with. Let's hear from Janet. We always watch every game from the beginning to the end, even when they're boring, like they were in July when they tried to just do all analytics and didn't uh, use a mixture of both, like um, Schultz finally did when uh, he went on the 17-game run. Then it was really exciting to watch, and we just looked forward to every minute of it. I hope that that's the kind of baseball we see again next year because it's fun to have something to cheer about and be excited about. And part of what led to the boring nature of the Cardinals this year was all the injuries. When you don't have Bader and you don't have your starting rotation, and at that point, there were guys that were struggling. Paul DeYoung was playing every day and struggling. It does lead to what was a really boring product on the field. And Janet may have still watched every game, yep. even when it was boring. But as we saw, not everybody took that same approach. Not everybody was watching all of the games and, more importantly, going to all of the games. When the Cardinals go on a historic win streak and things are exciting again, guess what? Bally has numbers through the roof. Butts are in the seats. It's important that they have an entertaining brand of baseball moving forward because people's consumption patterns change. People aren't as loyal to the product as they once were. Yeah, And it used to be that you wanted to hire an established manager. If you were the Cardinals, Whitey had managed the Royals to a lot of wins. Joe Torre had managed the Braves to a lot of wins. Tony obviously had his success. That really doesn't play anymore when you look at where we are in baseball now. The first job that Dave Roberts had as a manager was with the Dodgers. Alex Cora won in his first year with the Red Sox in 2018. Davey Martinez won in his second year with the Nationals in 2019. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Cardinals could get a guy that has not managed at the major league level before and still has a lot of success. I I hope that's the case. I hope that he has provided whoever gets that job with a roster that is good enough to overcome any deficiencies that he might have and that they can win the World Series in 2022. And by the way, not deficiencies as a manager, but deficiencies because of an experience managing at the major league level. Or if those deficiencies arise because of injury that the front office is committed to going out and making moves to provide the manager with more talent. Yeah, that's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to head into the Blues booth. Blues analyst on Bally Sports. Our buddy Bernie Federko joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Hall of Famer Bernie Federko joins Michelle and Randy in the Blues booth on 101 ESPN. Blues and the Vegas Golden Knights tonight. And Bernie will be on the pregame and between periods and postgame shows on Ballet Sports. Bernie, it's always good to have you with us. How are you doing this morning? Real good, Randy. Thanks. And it's great to hear your voice. How have you liked these uh, first two games? What, what you've seen from the first two? Well, we're seeing a lot of good offense. I mean, I think uh, we talked about this team was going to be pretty deep up front and with the four forward lines, and I think we're really seeing that. We talked about Bennington 
uh, was going to be the Bennington that we always think that he's going to be, and he certainly has been the first couple of games. So all's good. You know, obviously they've got to tighten up defensively. You don't want to give up three or four goals each and every night, but when you're scoring goals, uh, it's kind of fun to watch. So uh, I've been really uh, excited about watching the first couple of games. And Bernie, we knew that this Blues team had great veteran presence, David Perron, Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Chen, to name a few, but it's great to see these kids getting involved as well. Kairu Costin, Jake Neighbors. That's been an exciting development these first couple games. Well, you have to be really, uh, you know, to drop well, I think, Michelle. I think that's the biggest thing is that, that you see the success of, of all the organizations, so the teams that really drop well and they bring up their kids and let them play. And uh, those are the ones that are usually the most successful organizations. So I think that we're seeing that with the Blues right now. And, yes, I mean, this is a team that's got both. And as you mentioned, the veterans, uh, I think Kyrou's been absolutely outstanding. I think he had his breakout year last year. I think Thomas, we're going to see more of what we saw, hopefully, from him. Uh, on Wednesday night, he played very, very well. So I should, yeah, when's, no, when did he play? I, I'm losing all my dates. So the last <laughs> game, anyway, what, or Monday? <laughs> right. But uh, the, the funny part about it is that, you know, neighbors, uh, we really didn't know what to expect. But, I mean, for 19 years old, I think he's been really, really impressive so far. And Costin, he's getting an opportunity. And, and he's a big kid. He, he threw his weight around. He scored a couple of goals. So, yeah, this is a, a, a team that has got four good lines. They've got interchangeable parts. And I think that should really... Uh, bode very uh, bode very well for them going forward. The Hall of Famer Bernie Federico joining us in the Blues booth on 101 ESPN. And Bernie, you said you like what you saw from the offense. And in that first game against Colorado, Bennington allows a couple of sixth attacker goals, but they did allow four to Arizona. What do the Blues need to do? And it, obviously it's very, very early, but to, to do what they want to do to suppress goals against. Well, they just have to check a little bit better. I mean, the, the one thing that uh, that Craig Ruby has been preaching to this team is they've got to box out the opposition a little more, is that you can't allow guys to get to the front of the net, and that's the one big thing. Is, I mean, you got numbers. I mean, the, the Blues don't have a big defense. And I, think, I mean, other than Pareko, Scandella's got some size, but uh, the rest of the guys are really not big bodies. So when you don't have big bodies out there, you've got to make sure that you you know stop the, 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 the players from getting to the front of the net because once you, they get to the front of the net, if they're big forwards, it's pretty hard to handle them one-on-one. So if you can kind of box them out, keep them to the outside so that Bennington can see the shot, then you're going to be okay. But uh, there's little things. I mean, the forwards have got to come back and help out a little more. Um, so it's it's a, it's a work in progress. It, it's really hard, I think. The hardest part about uh, the game is, is early is that you've got to outwork the opposition. And I think sometimes the early in the season, you kind of get a little lazy when you're kind of coming back, back-checking or, or whether you're you know playing the defensive hockey. You want to score goals. You want to be going up the ice all the time. And uh, you got to really concentrate more on your own end and and do the defensive side of it. And I think we see that teams tighten up more as the as the year goes on. And I think that obviously you have to check well to win a Stanley Cup. And I think that's what the Blues proved back in 2019 that they were really good grinding checking team, and that's why they were able to win the Cup. And I think that obviously that's something that the Chiefs going to want them to get back to. But uh, right now it's early, and it's a, there's a lot of work in progress. Blues in Vegas tonight, Bernie, and with Max Passaretti and Mark Stone out, it's uh, it's still a tough Vegas team that the Blues are going to match up against tonight. What are some keys that you think are important in this game for the Blues to get a victory? Well, they just got to play. I mean, I think this is a break again. I mean, we saw that against Colorado on Saturday night. You know, no Landis Cog, no McKinnon, and so you have to take advantage of that. I mean, they're two big guys, and really, I think that that's Vegas's hockey club is, is really Pacioretty and Stone, and when they're not in, 
you got to make sure that you uh, uh, have your concentration that, you know, you don't take the, that team for granted. They're going to work. The Vegas Golden Knights will work. And I think the Blues are in a situation right now. They are the better team uh, with the lineup that they have. And you just have to outwork the other team. And I think if you are, have the better lineup and you outwork them, you're going to win the game. So, I mean, they, the, the Vegas Golden Knights have got a lot of speed. Their defense really likes to jump up with the play. You know, each one of them will join the rush. We all remember what, you know, uh, Petrangelo wants to do. He wants to jump in and get involved in the rush. And I think that's Vegas's big thing is that if they have their defensemen join the rush, you really get yourself into trouble. So I think it's going to be the same as they played against Colorado. Get the puck in. They're going to have to forecheck, get on top of the defense. If they can really force them to play defense in their own zone, uh, the Blues are going to win the game and really get more traffic in front of the goaltending. I mean, this goaltending change, Leonard did not play well the first couple of games. So I think that the Blues really in a situation that, that they really know that they need to win this game because they're really the better team. So it's just a matter of going outwork the uh, Golden Knights tonight. Bernie Federico, one more thing from me, and I just want your reaction to the way I feel because when you had the, the stop because of the pandemic and then the bubble, and then last year you don't start until January and you don't have fans, it, it really doesn't feel to me like the last couple of years have been real. This is the first time it's felt like real hockey for me since we were playing before the pandemic does it feel that way to you i agree 100 percent, randy it's so nice to see people in the stands you can just see the uh, the the emotion in the game is back i mean we're seeing fights that we never saw the last couple of years guys are really reacting to each other and it has a lot to do with the crowd noise with people being there and i think when you have spectators i think you play harder it's it's it's, it's easier to get your adrenaline going and it's a lot more fun to play so yeah this is hockey once again i mean all the sports i mean i'm watching the world you know all the, the the championship series now i mean the fans are in the stands people are going crazy you see college football stadiums are full now uh, that's what we're used to seeing and i know that the guys i don't even know how the guys played randy to be honest with you without the play without the fans in the stands because i mean even watching them it was boring the games were just not the same you got to have people there uh, you got to have bodies there, and, and we're seeing that. And, yeah, it, it's it's fantastic to see, and uh, I just hope that it stays this way, and, it, and hopefully it continues to get better and we get rid of this pandem- pandemic for good as soon as possible. And, Bernie, finally for me, Pavel Bushnevich had a goal and an assist in two games so far this season before getting ejected late in the first period on Monday for that headbutt. He's going to miss two games, and he was fined $141,000. That was a pretty expensive headbutt on his part <laughs> yeah, since he's a, he's a repeat offender. I just want to get your take on – not only the headbutt, but what you've seen from him so far this season. Well, he's going to be a, a big part of this hockey team. Obviously, here's a guy that scored 20 goals last year. I mean, he's an offensive guy, and, and he's got some size. I mean, uh, I mean, he made a mistake the other night. That's a reaction uh, that you can't have. Obviously, you all know that you can't headbutt. He knows it more than anybody else, but uh, I think sometimes you just have an adverse reaction that's kind of stupid when you think about it. I mean, he got cross-checked, and I mean, he should have cross-checked the guy back, but maybe because he got suspended for cross-checking last year, he didn't want to cross-check. I don't know what he was thinking, but uh, it was a mistake. It, it does happen, and you know, when you have anger, uh, emotions get involved, and he made a mistake, and, and lucky it's only a couple of games, so he knows that he can't do that again, and uh, the Blues will have to obviously play without him. It didn't cost the Blues the other night. That's the good news is that they were able to, you know, still win that game, even though that he had the five minute major and this and that. But uh, I think he's going to be a big part of the hockey club. I think he fits in really, really well. And uh, he'll be back in a couple of games and, and this will all be forgotten. Bernie Federico, great to hear your voice. We're looking forward to talking to you during the season and we will be tuned in tonight on Bally Sports as the Blues take on the Vegas Golden Knights. 
Well, thanks, Randy and Michelle. And, you know, we're not on tonight. It's TNT Oh, that's tonight. right, TNT so, game. TNT tonight. So I get to be like you. I'm going to just watch <laughs> it and, and sit back and enjoy a nice cold Bud Light as I'm doing it. Perfect. Love it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Bernie. Talk to you soon. Thanks, you guys. See Take you later. Care. I had mentioned that to you earlier, you that uh, it's a TNT game, and then it slipped my mind. And, yeah, tonight the Blues' first appearance on TNT since they took over their national contact, contract, TV contract. Hey, you can join Jamie Rivers and Donnie Fandango and Jeff Burton for a special and uncensored live <laughs> last-minute Blues podcast with Brett Hull. It's Saturday afternoon at Brett Hull's Junction House in Wentzville. Jamie, Donnie, and Jeff will sit down with Hully for a live conversation and a Q&A on stage. Get there early at 2 o'clock to grab a seat and get entered in to win awesome blues giveaways. Plus, enjoy the signature cocktail menu and the wide variety of menu items at Junction House. Alive and uncensored, that's important. Last-minute blues podcast with Brett Hall starting at 3 o'clock on Saturday. Get all the details now at 101ESPN.com. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> All right, we always look forward to... You're killing me, Smalls. Drama. Drama in the NBA, Randy. Love the drama. Drama out of Philadelphia. Drama with Ben Simmons. Before we tell you about what happened yesterday, let's rewind it back. Let's just remember where this all started. So today is four months to the day of Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Semifinals. Philadelphia 76ers, Atlanta Hawks, if you forgot. In that game, Ben Simmons passed up an open dunk that would have tied the game with less than four minutes left. The Sixers went on to lose that game and see their season come to an end. After that, Ben Simmons asked for a trade. He then held out for the first two weeks of training camp, trying to force the 76ers to make a deal. That did not happen. He reluctantly reported to the team last week he had to go through a bunch of protocols, but he practiced with the team Sunday and Monday, which brings brings us to today. There was an incident at practice. Ben Simmons was not being cooperative with the team. Sham Sharania had this report yesterday, Randy, that Doc Rivers asked Ben Simmons to join a defensive drill during practice yesterday. Simmons refused. Doc Rivers asked him again. Simmons said no again. Rivers then told Simmons he should go home. Ben Simmons dropped the ball and he left. Ben Simmons has been suspended by the 76ers for their season opener in New Orleans today, and this is costing him a lot of money, Randy. They fined him $1.4 million for his absence from four preseason games at 360 k each. There's a lot of fines that have been levied against him for mispractices on court workouts and meetings, and he is being suspended for Wednesday's game, and he's going to lose roughly $227,000. So, pretty expensive stance that Ben Simmons is taking here. Clearly, a really immature young man, and the Sixers actually tried to set up during the offseason a plan for him to improve because he even though he was the top pick in the draft he can't shoot and that's a part of the game that is missing for him he can defend he's a really good passer but he can't shoot and they wanted him to become a better shooter he didn't participate in that during the offseason he's not good enough because he can't shoot to be doing these things unfortunately even though he's not good enough he has the contract and has the money because the Sixers thought that he would turn into that guy and there was 
was an offer during the offseason from Portland, and I wonder now if Philadelphia might be more inclined to try to revisit that. Uh, they had offered C.J. McCollum and draft choices in exchange for Ben Simmons, and he needs to be at a place where they have other shooters. And Joel Embiid, while a great player, is not an outside shooter. You, Ben Simmons is kind of a a one-trick pony as far as the defense is concerned. He needs to go to a team that has a specific set of skills that they can use with him with, and Philadelphia isn't that team. So since that Game 7 loss, Ben Simmons hasn't said anything publicly. He hasn't spoken to the media, even though all of this drama has been swirling, all of this has been unfolding before our eyes. Woj and, and Sham Sharania have had all of the reports on everything that's been happening. But that has caused all of the people around him within the organization to comment about this. Doc Rivers has spoken about this. And Joel Embiid yesterday, after this drama at practice, did not hold back with his thoughts about Ben Simmons, who he hasn't spoken to, by the way. At this point, I don't care about that man. Honestly, he does whatever he wants. Uh, you know, that's not my job. Uh, you know, that's those guys' jobs. Uh, you know, I'm only focused on trying to make the team better, uh, win some games. Uh, you know, play hard every night. Uh, try to lead. You know, the guys that we have here, uh, and I'm sure they feel the same way because you know our chemistry has been excellent uh, despite you know everything that's been happening in the, uh, in the last few months. Uh, so yeah, like I. Said, I don't I don't really care. He says, at this point, I don't care about that man. He does whatever he wants. He went on to say it's not his job to babysit anyone. I kind of agree. Well, not a kind of. I 100% agree with Joel Embiid. He's trying to win, and you need to have everybody on board and to have this immature guy trying to spoil everything that you're trying to build there, trying to complete the process. It's really not fair to the rest of the players what Ben Simmons is doing. What he's doing is very selfish. And again, it'll be different. Like James Harden last year when it happened with Houston, when he wasn't in shape and didn't play hard. Well, he was good enough to get traded for a haul. Ben Simmons isn't good enough to get traded for a haul, being the same thing that Harden was last year. At least Harden showed up and apparently participated in practice and interacted with his teammates. Ben Simmons isn't doing any of that. And if you're Ben Simmons, who in your circle is telling you to do this? Who in who is it? Your agent, your family, your friends? Who is telling you, yeah, you know what's probably a good idea is for you to be really difficult and make it um, make it known that you're not a team player and that you're not doing everything possible to better yourself. That's going to really help you get out of this situation. If that's really what he wants is to get out, then when Doc Rivers says to you that when you report back to the team, you're not going to play until you are engaged with the team and you show positive energy. If you really want out, isn't that what you're going to do is just do whatever the coach says, which, by the way, is the bare minimum required of mm-hmm. a teammate is to be engaged with the team and show positive energy. It just makes no sense to me that if a player wants out of a situation or feels feels a certain type of way about the organization knowing that you're you have question marks surrounding your talent and your ability in big games that you would then throw this on the pile of question marks that potential teams and potential future employers have about you as a basketball player yeah and this is a problem in all sports that scouts fall in love with skill sets and size and Ben Simmons has every skill set and every size but they thought they could teach him how to be a player and he's not a productive player that's the problem that they have. And think if you're a 76ers fan, 
Markel Fultz, he's mm-hmm. the number one guy. You think he's going to come there. Then he loses his shot. Ben Simmons is the guy that you think is going to pair with Joel Embiid, and you're trusting the process, and now this is happening. That trust the process run this this group has been very heavily saturated in drama and hasn't been all that successful no the trust the, the process i think we can safely say now that it didn't work that the process was a failure under the gm that got fired i don't even sam hinky yeah there you go just it didn't work you're killing me, Smalls. Well, it did work in Milwaukee, Randy, and the Bucks got their championship rings yesterday. And these championship rings just keep getting bigger. They keep getting blingier, and they keep getting more complicated. So the ring that the Milwaukee Bucks got yesterday to celebrate their, their 2021 championship, it's not only huge, it's not only iced out, but the top actually comes off, and it can be converted into a necklace on a chain. Also, I thought this was a very interesting component to this. There's a QR code when the top comes off and you can scan it and it reveals a highlight reel on your phone from the 2020-2020 run and the championship win. That's pretty phenomenal. Well, what are they going to come up with next on a ring? QR codes on a ring? It's yeah. being converted into a necklace? This is a, this is not your standard ring. This is not your grandpa's championship ring. This is amazing. We saw how outrageous the Patriots rings had gotten when we went to the Hall of Fame. And this sounds like it's the most outrageous of all time. But outrageous is cool. Players love that. You've waited a long time yeah. to wear a championship ring. And if someone else is footing the bill, why not? Yeah. The most outrageous St. Louis Rams championship ring was owned by none other than Georgia Frontier, who got one that fit on her over her pinky and her ring finger. A double finger ring? Yeah. Wow. It was monstrous. It's monstrous. You're killing me, Smalls. And finally, I loved this note from Dane Moore, who's a Timberwolves reporter. He was talking to Carl Anthony Towns about what he does to get ready for a game, to get ready to compete. And here's the full quote from Carl Anthony Towns about his pregame routine. He says, before games, I know Kobe had talked about that he used to listen to Halloween-themed music, and that would really get him going. I've really just been watching two gorillas fight before every game. I'm addicted to that. I want to see who's the best in the laws of nature. I'm watching gorillas fight all day. I know that if I'm in that video, I'm leaving out alive. Someone's got to die, and it ain't going to be me. Unfortunately, while that is a great motivational technique, I haven't seen the guy in the playoffs. So it kind of looks to me like he's the gorilla that dies. But maybe the season's going to be different because he's watching these before the games. Okay, I hope that this is something new and it works for him. I do. Because he should be a good player. Can you imagine that before the game? That's oh, what you're watching oh, on where, your phone. Where's Carl Anthony Town? Where's Carl? I need to talk to him about something before the game. Where's Cat? Oh, he's. A, don't disrupt him. He's watching gorillas fight to the death. <laughs> do gorillas really do that? Yeah. I thought they just sat and ate things of lettuce. No, gorillas are very scary. I know they're scary, but I didn't know they fought each other to the death. I. Th- 65780. I need to research this really quickly, but I think if you were taking any animals in the jungle to fight, gorillas are at the top of the list. Oh, yeah. Uh, but my thing is, is like, are, are they, they aren't trained to do that. So I wonder if that's what they actually do is fight to the death. I, don't, I just don't know. I just Googled it, and there are tons of wild gorilla fights on YouTube. Lion fights gorilla. Who wins? A gorilla, I think. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. I would choose a lion because I'm a Leo and lions yeah. are the kings of the jungle. 
and I would think there's speed there, but the strength of a gorilla, I think, is what allows them to be at the top of the food chain. If they get a hold of you, yeah, they're going to win. Yeah, you're done. I just thought that they were nicer to each other. Oh, no. What's a group of gorillas Do gorillas fight each other? Silverback gorillas fight one another using their teeth, their hands, and their legs. They fight when they come across another gorilla group. Silverbacks of each group. It's like the Jets and the, it's it's like a West West Side Side Story. Story. That's right. So here's what happens. Silverbacks of each group express to each other their strength. And when they start fighting, they use their teeth to try to injure the other gorilla and cause them to bleed out and die. So this is this is two groups of silverbacks saying, "Don't don't you cross this line, or else hmm. we're coming after you." And they so fight to the death. That's what Carl Anthony Towns is up to. Yeah. Wow. Kind of scary. Whatever works to you fire you up before you, a game. You don't want to get stuck in the middle of that fight, is what I'm saying. Of two gorillas. Yeah. No, absolutely not. No. It's amazing. Well, I hope that that does fire him up, and I hope it makes him a more effective ball player. TBD. Yeah, right. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Thank you. And that is You're Killing Me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. Danny Mac is coming your way next. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. One, two, three, four. The Blues Bud Light 14th Street Party is presented by 101 ESPN and is happening Saturday outside of Enterprise Center. Fans with or without tickets for the home opener that night are invited to join in on the pregame fun this Saturday afternoon. Enjoy live music from the Steve Ewing Band, hear from Blues broadcasters, and have the chance to win Blues prizes throughout the day. Plus, Bud Light happy hour pricing, local food trucks, appearances by Louie and Barkley, and more. The Blues Bud Light 14th Street Party this Saturday starting at 2 o'clock. Get details now at 101ESPN.com. Michelle and Randy with you and Dan McLaughlin makes his way into the studio getting ready for the Danny Mac Show featuring BK here on 101 ESPN. How are you, Daniel? I'm doing well. So the Patrick Ewing Band will be there. No, this is the Steve Ewing Band. (laughs) Yeah, the Patrick Patrick Ewing Band. He's at Georgetown. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a different uh, one. We make a lot of money because we spend a lot of money. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's one of the great lines, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Now, is he lied uh, back at MSG? He is, right? Yeah, he is. That was just a bad move on the part of uh, an usher. So uh, Charles Oakley, though, is... He's banned. He's out. Yeah. Okay, anybody By else the, out? The great owner of all sports, James Dolan. Yes. What Didn't Spike Lee get banned, too? For a while, but I think he's back now. Well, you know, that's a great point by both of you, is the fact that, uh, you know... I, I would have to. I wonder if you could Google what courtside seats cost Stand at by. MSG. So you know, when you have courtside seats, you can get banned for a little, mm-hmm. but not for not a, a long lot. time. Yeah, we we need that cash. So Dan, you are younger than I am. So this was probably the day, the date that capped captured your introduction and capped your introduction to quality baseball in 1982. Sooner from the belt. To the plate, a swing and a miss, and that's the winner! That's the winner! A World Series winner for the Cardinals! Porter throws his mask into the air, the players converge around the mound, the police arrive on the scene, the canine patrol and the mounted patrol, some fans manage to get on the field, 
But they needn't do that, and they won't be out there very long. <laughs> yes, the Cardinals have won the game 6-3. The Cardinals have won the National League pennant. And the Cardinals have won the 1982 World Series. The final score, 6-3. 39 years ago today, wow. 39 years ago, um, sure, I remember going out in our neighborhood and banging pots and pans and going crazy <laughs> and making noise. Um, I was big, though, into the late 70s, too. I, I That got my fandom going. Mm-hmm. Teddy and and Keith Hernandez, but when they got the Wizard, that was uh, that was it for me. And then that that team was so much fun to watch. And great. I still believe Randy in in looking back at this, and and you would know better than probably any of us in a, in this room. But I, I really believe looking back and trying to study the history of the Cardinals as much as I can, and talking to some of those guys that played in the '60s and the '70s, the '80s, and obviously we didn't see those before then. At least I didn't. Um, I think it's the greatest infield defensively they ever had. Obrickfell at third, who is does not get enough credit nope. for how good of a player he was. You had Ozzie, who some believe is the greatest defensive shortstop, in my mind he is, that ever played the game. Tommy Herr is a Cardinal Hall of Famer. So is Keith Hernandez. Keith Hernandez is the best defensive first baseman I've ever seen. I mean, holy smokes, so, were they good. And they're doing it on the turf. Yeah. Let's start there, that you have the best defensive shortstop and the best defensive first baseman. Yeah. So you're halfway home, right? Yeah. So if you have two average guys, you probably, and I've, I think this is beyond the Cardinals, I think this is the best infield in my time of watching baseball. I know the Mets had one with Ordonez, and uh, I don't even remember the group. I think uh, they, they might have had uh, the guy that played for Toronto. Oh, John Olerud. Yeah. They, they had a pretty good group over there at one point. And Alomar. Yeah. So, and, and then at third was, was it Agbayani? Uh, uh, oh, it was... Edgar uh, Alfonso. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But I don't think there's been a defensive infield that matches what the Cardinals had in 1982. I don't think so. Um, this infield they put together this last year was pretty darn good. It um, it's short. You were solid. I think second base. If you look at some of the metrics... Um, Tommy Edmond is ahead of Colton Wong, mm-hmm. like fielding Bible, that kind of thing. He actually graded out, I believe, ahead of him. I think Goldie's going to win the gold glove, and I think Arenado's going to win the gold I glove. I agree. So um, this but is a really good is, one. The most important position, though, is 82 had the best guy. Absolutely. In his prime. Yes, for sure. Um, and then you added Willie in the outfield. Hendrick was solid. Lonnie Smith. Then you had Lonnie. Eh. You won the World Series. They're more frustrated with Lonnie in Atlanta than they are here. Yeah, that's times. true. I mean, for what happened in that World Series in which Base running, he was right? deked. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, he was fun. We could go down a lot of rabbit holes. I love listening so, to you guys talk when, about this. Uh, we, Michelle and I were at a game late in the season, and Dan Farrell was telling us about a picture of me being yeah. making my way to the mound as an usher after game seven of that that call right there and uh, he sent me the photo and lo and behold there's young randy out there making his way to Had the you mound. ever seen it i uh, saw it a long 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 time ago oh you gotta get that I, dan farrell sent it to me oh that's so, awesome yeah but any players around is it all just a no, mass of humanity no it's well the players are right in the middle on the mound yeah and then there is a mass of humanity but i'm making my way in there that's awesome yeah but mark lamping used to tell and he showed it to me when he was boy this was in the early 90s uh, the picture was right outside his office at the old ballpark. Yeah, I, I know that picture. Yeah. I got called into his office a lot. Oh. <laughs> so I saw it plenty. Yeah. Um, so pretty no, funny. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. So it's a, it's a good photo to have. And what a great memory, too. Oh, yeah. Did I ever tell you that I got sick in game two because 
That was the game where Steve Braun took the bases loaded walk to to win it. And I was just so nervous. And it was cold outside. And I was just so nervous that I had to go back and throw up in our usher's room. And then I came back. When you were, an, I was thinking about this when you were an usher. Um, did you actually work the job of being an usher or were you just basically in an usher suit and so, watching the game? Let me let me give you the story. Because <laughs> I know I, what I would be doing. So the owner of Costello Service was a guy named Don Costello. Great guy. And Bill Kurobi was the, the chief of all the ushers. And so I randomly, this is in the days that we had yellow pages after my senior year of high school, I'd always thought going to games, oh, it would be cool to work for Costello Service. So uh, I find Costello Service in the yellow pages. And I call and I say, hey, do you have any openings? He said, yeah, come to my office. And his office is in a condo. He worked from his house. So he brings me in, takes me downstairs, and he's got all these Costello uniforms hanging up. He says, what pants do you wear? What, what size pants do you wear? I told him. He said, okay, you're hired. He gave me the pants and the jacket. Said, do you need to wear black uh, shoes tonight? And uh, we'll give you your cap when you get there. So I, that very de- night, I drive down to the ballpark at like 2.33 in the afternoon. And meet Don Costello, meet Bill Kurobi, and they're standing there in front of me. And Don says, he's a pretty big guy. Why didn't we put him down on the field? Perfect. So I never had to work the gates. I never had to do anything else in my very first couple of seasons except work down on the field. Don Thompson was the bullpen guard. He's been the the Cardinals clubhouse guard for years and years. So Don was working the dugout. I was working first base right now. Don was in the bullpen. I was in the first base dugout. And no, I never did have to do for a long time anything other than be down on the field. That's perfect. It's a front row seat, man. It was unbelievable. It was literally the front row seat right in front of Gussie Bush. And no one's going to give you... any any trouble really? I mean, oh, they did after oh, did that they? game. They did well, yeah, but that game is out of control. Yeah, so I mean, you just go. What do you want me to do? I mean, I can't stop everybody yeah. from coming onto the field. No, and I did deck a guy who was did trying, you really? Yeah, who was trying to steal Lonnie Smith's hat? Really? Yep. Got the hat back. Got Lonnie into the dugout. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Job and, well done. And then. One of the other parts of that, one of my fondest memories, is that I actually, they would send me down after the World Series games and the playoff games to just check passes for the media as they were walking into the media area, because it's different than it is during the regular season. And after game one, Mike Caldwell had shut the Cardinals out 10 to nothing. And Whitey walks in for his post-game press conference. And I think Katie Feeney was there then and said, Mm -hmm. Whitey, what are your initial comments? (laughs) They'd lost 10 nothing. Whitey says... I'm glad it wasn't a blank and double header. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that would be like living on forever today when you say something like oh, that. Oh, no doubt about it. You know, that's a thing now. I I, I think I, I, I was saying about like how Mike Schilt handled the media, and I thought he did a really good job in that regard. And when things were rough, fans wanted a, a you know, they want their pound of flesh and they want uh, Mike Schilt to go nuts. It's just a different era. I mean, he's got to, and that's kind of where I'm going with this new manager that they bring in, whomever that may be. But, you know, one of your biggest responsibilities is you're the CEO and face of the franchise in terms of how you deal with the media before and after games. And that's a big, big part of it, man. And you know, fans want honesty and players don't want you to be honest. Well, ultimately, I think you can do a little bit of both. You can, but, but you got to protect your players because you if you lose anybody. your players, then yeah. you're done. Right. You know? That you're done. Right. And that's and all there is to it. And ultimately, at the end of the day, that's if you're going to win games, you got to keep the players happy somehow, some way. Not, that's not to say that you can't call people out 
for a lack of hustle or things that happen that are egregious. But generally speaking, a guy goes out there, he's given his best, and they give it up. You, the manager's just not going to throw him under the bus. It's just yeah. not going to happen. And I thought Mike Schilt had that aspect of being a manager down pat. Yeah. He, and Joe Torre always was this way, too. He said, my main job is to protect my players. And he said, those players will never hear anything in the media before they hear it from me. Sure. And I think that's true. Yeah. I think that's Mike did that be. a lot. And... Um, you know, I'm sure some things got rubbed behind, uh, rubbed the wrong way behind closed doors, and that's why he's not here. Yep. So away we go. Yeah, hopefully he gets a new gig. He will get a new gig, and uh, hopefully the Cardinals win. What do we have coming up on the Danny Mac Show with BK? Andy McCullough, and uh, he is from the Athletic. He had a really interesting article about uh, how the Dodgers went through a process of of going with a starting pitcher, and it wasn't just the manager that had. The final say. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had a vote, but it was up and down the front office. And really, in today's game, that's how it's done. Yeah. Whether you like it or not. Andy's a good guy. Yeah. So I like him. He wrote a story a couple of years ago about how St. Louis was reacting to the Rams being in the Super Bowl in L.A. Oh, I remember I got, that. I got a chance to talk to him then. So, And it was a really well done piece. So Have a great day and a great show. Okay. Thank you, Randall. Thank you. Michelle, you chimed in a bunch on this crossover. Thank you, Dan. No we, problem. We, we were going old school. We Michelle's did go young. old school. So thanks, she Emily. Young. Great she job. Us thanks, you as well. That's our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you, Michelle. See you tomorrow. And for all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.